Hello and welcome to The Why Debate with Mike Martin and Callum Roy. Hello there. Hey bud, how's it going this week? Ah, pretty good, pretty good. Feeling, um, yeah, feeling refreshed reading a smaller book this week has um, has been yeah, good for me, I think. Four or five times I think I've read it. Yeah, I've gone through a couple of times. I, I missed just reading something, to be fair. I've got so used to reading that I was like, well, and I've already read it, but I'll just read it again. So this is work then. It's given us that positive habit that we wanted and it's educating us. So I guess Definitely. it was what we was after. Um, yeah, that's a win. So this week we read The Warrior Ethos by Stephen Pressfield, which yes, I don't know. How did you feel about it? Uh, well, it was a little more concise than I thought. It was a bit shorter than I would anticipated. I know Stephen Pressfield... Stephen Pressfield, I wanted to read some of his stuff anyway. I think I suggested that it's on the list that we read The War of Art, um, which is one of his, um, which is all about sort of creativity and stuff. So I, I wanted to read something from Stephen Pressfield anyway, but then I noticed he had this really short one and I was like, ah, oh, a short book would be pretty nice this week. So um, yeah, I thought we'd we'd go for it. I, I thought it was nice. I thought it was, a, you know, obviously less than 100 pages, um, really short chapters, uh, very easy to cruise through. And for someone who's a bit of a sort of military history nerd and ancient history nerd, it's quite fun. It's a good read. Well, that was one of the things I realized going through it quickly is he, he'd actually written it for uh, soldiers, for people that have been in the army, that are people that have, have served. Now, m a lot of my family have been in the army, not my, my immediate family, my, my missus's side of the family. And I've, okay. whenever anyone's ever tried to say about Cameron going in the army I've always like shut the fuck up man he's not going doing that he's not working for people to sell oil and for people to do this and, and I always had a real short answer to the thing like don't don't expect him to go and die so that some politician can get an extra bonus or that so somebody can get the price of oil and that was kind of how I always understood it and mm. I never let it in and and I always acted like that and this week I found that reading this book The Warrior Ethos by Stephen Pressfield has actually changed my view quite a bit on on the army mm. on serving on why people do it um and made me understand um a little more about it than than i did before i think previously i was very i am very you know me <laughs> i'm very hard to convince of anything i have my own like this is how i think this is how i say and that's it it is what it is yeah. and i'm very short-sighted on things and it's like nah cut and dry it is what it is and this really opened my eyes to because beat serving actually as as a soldier or anything like that gives you a, a kind of a gang it, it makes you you're part of a gang forever and, and yeah. i never i never noticed this like when 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 lorna's father and brother was saying oh we're going to meet at such and such a place with all ex-soldiers that have come back and the people who served in such a place or the people who were in this tank regiment or in this thing or did and and, and i was like it's fucking bollocks to me but when i've read this book it's either made me realize oh my god it actually makes you part of a community forever of people who have the same beliefs so yeah yeah and i mean the way i've i have a similar thing where my family my uh oh, um alden says hello hey alden what's up buddy glad that you can join us again um but yeah my my family had a, a similar thing where my dad's side is quite there's quite a lot of people served in the military like my dad was in the navy my uncle um, was in the Navy until his retirement and my other uncle was in the army very briefly. 
when my dad was in the navy super briefly he wanted to be a submariner which is quite funny considering like the stuff in the news at the moment um i couldn't imagine anything worse like me and my dad are very very similar i you've never seen him before right but he's not me no but he, he looks just like me similar sense of humor and um he yeah he he thought sub being a submariner would be really cool when he was younger he was wanted to go around in submarines and nuclear submarines and stuff like that but he got himself hurt in training and uh he slipped a disc in his back and he was honorably discharged with an injury <laughs> before he could even do anything specialize in the navy but i bet he can still go to the the, the meetups and he'll still be an ex will well, he or will he not no he i don't think the... he can i'm i'm not sure if he actually fully like got out of the training period so i'm not sure if he can but because he is a police officer there's a lot of crossover with like um stuff you're allowed to do we actually stayed in a, a military and police um hotel once in london because we couldn't find anywhere cheap to stay and there's one that's like specifically for military and police and uh, we stayed there, which is pretty cool. He got a lot I mean, of grief from the military guys. Though. <laughs> well, the benefit, the benefits you get for being in the police is you get a special uh, police officer's hotel yep. and a special police officer's prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just know that they go to a special prison as well, which, which I Did thought they, was, was was fitting because which we all did have to, I guess, for for health and safety. <laughs> yeah, although it would be a good, uh, it'd be a good. I don't know, it'd be a good thing to stop them from doing uh, any any criminal activity. Yeah, you just go in the general population prison, they'll love you there. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my dad's... Uh, hospital close... pretty quick. Yeah, right. One of my dad's close friends, actually, uh, in the police nearly in, ended up in the... Um, ended up in a police prison. He, don't uh, tell us. Don't tell no. us why. No. no. All right. It's not for public. Oh, right. that, that's the type of thing that it's like, oh, I just don't, we don't know really talk about that. You start to, you start opening up about things like that and, and, and yeah, you might upset someone. So, The Warrior Ethos by Stephen Pressfield is a book about the special mindset and rules that true warriors follow. Now, before yes. we go on and we start uh, asking questions and going through what, what we took from it and what we didn't, I think it's important to say, okay, that this book is not necessarily about violence. It's not actually about violence it's more on about it's more about selflessness it's about uh, never giving up it's about courage it's about honor um it's about mastering specific skills it's about f the friendship the bond that can be built between warriors the camaraderie um, yeah yeah and and i believe it's it's also about how the warrior spirit actually still fits into society. There's two different types of societies. There's one where, because you've got to think when you go to war, if you imagine going out to war um, and, and, and everything, violence is kind of, of rewarded. It's like this one, I killed 500 different soldiers all by himself. He did all, you come home and kill 500 people and what happens? They lock you away in a box forever. So Big it's trouble. kind of, it's, it's two different worlds that they have to kind of then adjust to. So having that, that, friendship when they come back and people to speak to and understand it i think is very important not just necessarily to come back so some people live in in warrior environments but it's it was a great read mm -hmm. um yeah yeah i loved it and i mean like all of these things that we talked about like the selflessness and not giving up and courage and skill mastery and stuff a lot of that stuff does it in like the military it does kind of end up just showing itself as violence you know like the selflessness is like you know sacrificing yourself uh like not giving up is fighting until the end like the courage is the courage to you know shoot first or throw the first spear or jump into the enemy lines in in antiquity 
Um, and mastering skills in the army usually involves shooting people or, you know, stabbing people. <laughs> <laughs> so well, you think you know, it does? I, I think like that. I think I think it's more about discipline. Yeah. I think it's more about discipline. Alden actually read the book this week as well. I actually read the book this oh, week, which is cool. That's great. Uh, did, did you ever finish Sapiens? Be honest, Alden. Let me know when you next yeah. message on there. Because yeah, you I'm were like, catching us on Sapiens, right? That was... Uh, that was a killer. Um, so... That was a big one. First question. What is the warrior ethos? Yeah. So uh, an ethos is like a, a set of rules. Um, uh, ethos comes from the same word as ethics so it's a it's a set of rules that a warrior would um, sort of follow or live by and um, I, I wrote this down as courage, loyalty, honor integrity and selflessness I think that all of those things are what the warrior ethos is but it's a bit, bit like sort of different than that I think it has you know there's other elements that come to into being a warrior um but that, that's what I had down, and, and I think you've broken it down quite well in the notes here, so should I get started with those? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't see one of my notes in there, but I, I wrote it down as it's about having a disciplined way to being ready to make sacrifices for a good mm. cause. It's oh, yeah. about a disciplined way. To, for, for, it shouldn't say sacrifices for a good cause. It's self-sacrifice for a good cause because mm. the, it's, it's, it's more about the cause than it is about the individual. And I think I've learned so much from this book this week because at the start of this week, I was like, nah, not for me. I hate this stuff. And, and, and I've really learned a lot. Um, so do you think it has to be a good cause or can it be just any cause? Yeah, a common cause, I guess it should say. Not a good cause. It should say a common cause. Yeah. Because some, you know, a lot of this stuff is kind of like, you know, it's black and white a little bit, isn't it? Like, it's uh, about sorry, it's not in black a and white. It's... Way and being ready to make self sacrifices mm -hmm. for a common cause. Yeah. Okay. Because I can get behind that. Yeah. Because yeah. then you've got people like um, what they called what were them guys called who who, who uh, killing loads of people at the minute ISIS and that they've kind of ISIS, got Al Qaeda a disciplined yeah. way. And, and self-sacrifice towards a common cause and 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 it is in 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 their way it's the warrior spirit and they believe they're doing right but they are doing right by their cause they're just not doing by, right by what the rest of the world believe is yeah right. totally i mean it's like uh the israel palestine thing like you know two warrior ethos is one one you could argue is fighting a war of aggression and one's fighting a war of uh of preservation and survival but depending on uh, how you view the conflict, depends on which side you think is the aggressor and which side is actually defending themselves. So it's, uh, yeah, it can be complex, especially when we're talking about like modern wars. I've got some examples later on of wars where it's a little like, huh, who's, who's a good guy here? Is there a good guy? Probably not. There never is. Mate, like, like we've learned in, in other books, it actually it's all just made up myths and none of it really matters. It's just, it's, it's all about opinion. There's no such thing as good and evil. There's just one side and another side. There's yeah. no, there's no such thing as real suffering unless you have a, a mind that understands what you perceive to be suffering. But let's, mm -hmm. that's for a different book. So let's jump on. My first note on this was selflessness, which I thought was, was, was very important. Warriors yes. put others before themselves. Uh, they care more about their team their mission and their people than their own needs. And I guess it should, again, not just say warriors put others before themselves. Warriors put their community before themselves. They care mm -hmm. more about their team, their mission, and their people than their own needs. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you always see this in when you're sort of, I've seen some interviews, like older interviews with like World War One veterans and stuff. There was one, I think he was the oldest. He, he, at one point he was super old and he was talking about, um, the lady says, thank you for your service. Thank you very much at the end of the interview. And he's like, no, don't thank me. He's like, I'm, I'm the lucky one. I made it back. He's like, all of the people that thank the boys that died on the field, like they were the real men. They're, they're the ones that were willing to lie, lay down their lives for saving, you know, our society, our culture. Um, so don't thank me. Thank them instead. Did he our society and our culture, do you think? World War One. Well, I mean... What I mean is, do wars things would have been very different. Culture? Do things change, or do things just stay the same? Well, yeah, I guess like uh, history is written by the victors. So, if things change all the time, doesn't don't they? But I think you can sort of fight. There's some change that you can fight against, um, and there's other change that happens in a slow. You know, a, a society can like a the British Empire, for example, bled to death. It, it didn't just go out in a bang. It just bled to death. Because, because the winners always write history, I guess we'll always say, I'm glad that happened that way. Everybody always says, I'm glad it happened the way it did because we wouldn't be where we are now. But that's only because mm. history has always been written by the winners and the losers. We might have had a better future had the losers won, but we'll never know. Yeah. Well, uh, that's one thing I was talking about the other day, actually. We, we were talking in the office about Napoleon because of... Uh, Obviously, our first episode of the Wide Debate was about Napoleon Hill, and uh, when the thumbnail was first made, <laughs> the, the uh, AI-generated thumbnail kept putting Napoleon Bonaparte in our Napoleon Hill um, thumbnail, and it looked super weird. Um, so we started talking about uh, Napoleon and um, Napoleon Napoleon, and um, I use that as an example where I'm like, I think maybe the the side that the we would have all benefited from winning actually lost, even though technically the English won, kind of, what? or the coalition so fighting in World War One? I don't know about that. Tell me. Oh, so Napoleon was before World War I. Um, right. But World War One, we were fighting against uh, Germany. So, I mean, which, which one do you think the side would have been better? Napoleon Napo or World the War Napoleonic Wars, because right. so Napoleon was, was a... Um, so that was the Wars of the Coalition, which was like... Um, so that was like the United Kingdom, um, uh, Spain, uh, Prussia, which is now Germany, um, and like Austria, Hungary, places like that. They all had to, and Russia, of course, very importantly, uh, kind of teamed up and had to stop Napoleon, who was the French emperor, who after the French Revolution, they got rid of the monarchy. He then ended up taking over power and he was almost like a military dictator. Um, he was a he was an officer in the French military, and he basically started. He was a very intelligent man, tactically brilliant, and he started just beating the crap out of all the countries nearby and taking back land that he believed that basically that had been taken off people by monarchs. He like used that whole like ah you know you have a king like your king's exploiting you like we'll take over, and he ended up. But it was kind of ironic because he took over all of these places like. Um, the Netherlands, for example, and Spain. And uh, he put in his own family as kind of de facto kings. So it was we kind of weird. the exact same that every so other kind of, has ever done. Right. He was kind of doing the same thing. However, like out of the Napoleonic sort of conflict, we have, um, we have like, like 
the sort of church and state end up kind of falling apart because obviously the king is like the is the, the king is in charge because of god making the king in charge that's like the rule um or queen but in this case king um and then you have this other guy come in and the science is like upping and and uh they and philosophy and stuff where so it's kind of like atheist philosophy. did napoleon win or did he get his ass kicked no, so napoleon uh he only ever lost one or two battles i think but they were unfortunately the most important ones for him um i mean the jury's out on whether it would have been better for him to win but i think modern people would probably align their views more with napoleon um than okay. they would with like the duke of wellington for example who was our sort of like leader in the conflict who invented the wellington boot Bonalina. never give up let's move never on to the up. next comment who invented yeah. the wellington boot with uh what's that thing called my daughter watches all the time paddington <laughs> paddington yeah paddington He's there. he saw right. some shit man <laughs> right uh never give up warriors keep going no matter how tough things get they have a strong will and never quit now i don't know if you remember about the, uh, I wrote this one now um, about about the never give up and the strong will. There's there's a part in the book that mentions um, that, and I don't know if this is true or not because I kind of thought this is this is a bit naive of the actual soldiers, but they reckon Marines in America, mm -hmm. he says in the book, um, are proud to have the worst equipment, the worst food, <laughs> the least yes. help and support, and the highest ca casualty rate. And I thought. Yeah. So, so basically what you're saying is is your leader, you, 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 the man at the top who's got the most money, because obviously America's got the most money, he's mm -hmm. spending the least on, on the Marines. They're giving them the worst equipment. They're giving them, and they're proud of it. And it's like, if imagine if I could turn around, come downstairs, right, and, and, and say to my, my staff, I'm going to cut your wages in half. We're going to swap your computers out from, from, from the top of the range thingy max to um, Commodore 64s from the 1980s. Mm -hmm. And you're going to work 15 hour days, but you're only going to get power half as much as you do right now. And you're going to be happy about it. I think everyone will say, okay, see you fucking later. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how they've managed to trick these well, people into thinking that. Or is it? I think that I that's the power of militarization, like the people, how they're sort of militarized. For example, talking about fighters, um, Khabib, for example. Yep. Um, Khabib versus Connor, uh, Connor McGregor, for those who don't follow the UFC. You should. It's very exciting. But um, there was this massive, that was probably like the biggest fight in the modern UFC history, I'd say, Khabib versus Connor. So Khabib, if you look at it from that side, doesn't have the same sort of modern... Georgia, like, sorry, just one second. George has put Mike, don't you dare. <laughs> so George works for me, by the way. <laughs> so like, yeah, she doesn't want you to swap out any of our... Yeah, confused. Uh, Although my one might blow up in the middle of this podcast because it has managed to do that twice in the last two. So you need to close everything else down when you're on. See, I everything is closed. Everything is closed. Don't worry. I even unplug stuff. Sorry, but the, he was on the point, and Khabib. yeah. So the point of being like, you know, uh, having less equipment and doing things sort of like the old uh, things like the old-fashioned way, and I think. You know, w when you look at that fight, you've got Conor McGregor who'd won loads of stuff and he'd become extremely wealthy and was like, you know, he could afford the best training and equipment in the entire world. He was, an, he was a multimillionaire. Whereas Khabib probably was already a millionaire, but he hadn't earned as much as Conor, nowhere near. Um, and he spent a lot of his time training in Dagestan, which was his native, um, his native country or area. 
and his training was like swimming in freezing cold lakes and like throwing massive boulders around and he could have been in a in a modern weight room in america in a very like sterile sort of like you know uh, focus do all of this like crossfit and stuff like that but instead he was in the dagestani wilderness in a country which has got pretty pretty nasty poverty very violent lots of gangs it's a pretty dangerous place um and he chose to be out there instead among his own people working in that way and i think that that's where the sort of militarized like sort of the marines like we want to be the guys that are that are crawling around in the mud whilst the army are sipping their coffee and watching us and because even though they might be like oh those idiot marines honor and suffering yeah there is there is there's honor and suffering and there's power in poverty and having that um i think having that you know being able to be like yeah well we did it the hard way but you even see it like with with underdogs in sport like you know look at their training facility how did they beat this amazing team there's real honor in that and i think that that's i share my story in my book because i've started from nothing and come to the end and, and it's something you're proud of when when you've not you've not got education you've not got school you didn't have yeah successful parents you didn't and yeah i guess yeah not, not thought of it that way but yeah i guess yeah see i disagreed with it that's why i brought it up because i thought i'm sure you'll help me understand it I mean, it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like, but it's also yeah. important to remember that they get less money than the rest of the American forces, which are the most expensive military yeah. in the world. So e- even though they are um, poorly equipped, perhaps in their training compared to some of the other units, they are extremely well equipped compared to like 99% of the world's military. So they'd still use their technology to beat the crap out of most, most nations, but they... Uh, have that and i think that's you know that's it's an important thing to be able to like togetherness as well you're just like yeah we're the guys that especially if you're fighting let's say you're fighting against the afghanistani mountain tribes and they've lived their lives like the hardest way possible they've fought off the soviets they literally have like ancient guns and they're just hiding in caves like Mate, those guys been somewhere like as hot as that right where they are and I, I remember we, it got to something like 46 degrees one time, or 42, it might have been not even that, 46C, I think it was. When I was in Spain, mm. it might have been 42. And I remember going out in that heat, and they're, they're out in the desert for, for weeks at a yeah. time. I don't even know whether you're watering shit from unless they fucking drink their own piss. I don't know, but... It's nuts. It's crazy. Like... Proper, tough. That's what I was saying about people now in in, in, in Western society. Um, we've We've become soft as shit basically yeah. we really have um and like if, the, if shit the fan, those guys yeah. fuck us up. <laughs> well, yeah we wouldn't know what we're doing like and i that's something i found in thailand like when the first time i went to thailand i trained in a muay thai gym for a month in in um sort of a more rural area of thailand and um when i was there i noticed that the the men were real like tough all the taxi drivers were like ex Muay Thai fighters. They were all like, they all had scars. They were all tough dudes. They all worked with their hands. They were all like, they were, they had like a, almost like a warrior culture because a lot of them had been fighting Muay Thai at temple festival shows when they were kids all the way up. Some of them had, you know, you meet people in the street with 300 Muay Thai fights and they're just an average Joe walking around the street, but then, you know, they've, and they train in that, environment where it's all very inclusive like when i lived there i lived in the gym there was you know luckily it was a modern facility so we had aircon but these guys don't train with aircon you know like that's not something they yeah, but do. it's different when you live there i remember when i when i was living in spain if it was 20 degrees outside 
I would have a coat on. Yeah. Right? Because I've been the there thing when I lived in for a while. Your body acclimatized it. And I remember getting yeah. there when we decided to move over. I remember landing off the plane and getting into uh, about nine o'clock at night and getting into and I was thinking, fucking hell, it's warm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and and obviously people had jeans on and jumpers and things like that. But by, once you've been there 12 months, you're kind of used to that. So the heat to them is not the same as the heat to us because we are kind of like living in a fridge in the UK, aren't we? Yeah. Um, in, in comparison. I could never acclimatize to, to Thailand. I was there for a year and I couldn't, couldn't acclimatize. Like the, when I lived Just, in Bangkok. Did you could you sleep? Uh, yeah, I could sleep because I had... I had AC in my ha- in my flat, so I was fine. But when like walking to work, my students would piss themselves laughing at me because I would come in like dripping in sweat because I had to wear a suit to work, and I would like my shirt would be completely see through with sweat, and they'd be like, "Ah, oh, teacher Callum, so wet." <laughs> uh, like, yeah. Sweaty instead of Mr. I am. <laughs> you guys don't sweat. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Right. Courage. Warriors are brave, not only in fights. This is another note, by the way, guys, that I'm reading off the screen. Courage. Warriors are brave, not only in fights, but also in standing up for what's right. Now, I should have really mm-hmm. heard what, what's perceived as right in there. What I? they believe to be right. Yeah, or what they, they have been told is right. Yep. So warriors are brave, not only in fights, but also in standing up for what they believe is right. I don't think that needs any additional explanation, does it? I mean, it, it rhymes as well, so that's <laughs> like double points. Yeah, my, my, the point I was going to make about this is, yeah, warriors are unbelievably brave, and and um, be, especially like people who are soldiers have to be extremely brave a lot of the time. Um, I don't know. I, I had this uh, thought. I was like, who had a worse time of it in terms of like having to be brave? Like, was it the people like the ancient warfare, like people in like phalanx with like spears and shields, or like just swords, like getting into it, the Roman legions and stuff. Or people who, like, say in the Napoleonic era, where you had two lines of infantry would get, like, they, they had um, they had muskets, but they didn't have um, repeating rifles, so they would have to reload slowly. Um, so you'd get really, really close to maximize the amount of casualties, and then fire a volley of shots into the other line. They, you know, the people would fall over dead, and then you know. There was a story in the book about that where, um, in fact, there's a couple of really good stories, but one of the stories in the book was all about, um, and I don't know what the name of the king or the warrior was because I don't pay attention to names, but basically what he said to his warriors, they turned up the night before, they took the, the what they called the high ground, and he said, look, when I, when I sound this horn during the thing, all I want you to do, I don't care what part of the battle we're at, all I want you to do is give me one extra foot. That's yeah. it. He said, but they all clashed, they went in, they were doing what they were doing, and it's getting to the point where it's like coming to that climax of a battle where they're all killing each other and thingies nah, he sounds the horn and he said to him whatever you're doing just give me one extra foot and he said and he did and obviously that's what won the battle but then when he asked them later what do you think what, what, what do you think for, for, uh, caused us to win the battle he basically had a few different answers from men and he said it was actually when we took the high ground the night before because i think that's yeah. when they discussed this strategy which was genius yeah, and that they'd walked through a uh, really horrible terrain all night, and he pushed them horribly to get to this high high ground in time, and um, they'd actually, yeah, the, the battle was also, won in the preparation. We're looking at the warrior, the courage of the warriors, right? But a lot of a lot that's in this book, which I thought was brilliant, um, factors around the courage of the actual women um, ah, and the courage a... of the women. Yes, drive, I have a note on that. Yeah, they drive the warriors forward. And, and, and there was a great story in there where it basically she said to her son, um, is your, this is your shield. Come back on it. Come back with it or come back on, on it. it. And then another yeah. one where they'd gone off and the Spartans had gone to war 
and what happened was they went to war and the um spartan was basically battle the 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 lost the battle and somebody came back and said to this woman i've got some bad news um your sons one of them uh died in battle um yeah he, he died at the end of the other the other one ran away and she basically yeah. referred to the one who died as a son and the one who, who ran away as as no longer being yeah. a son um and I, th- I think that was that was quite interesting fact that in fact there was a war where the the, the film 300 it was based yeah. around, I think, I don't know if it's a complete fact or, or, or if they believe it's a fact, or I don't know. But what I do know is that, that what they say in the story is when they were choosing the warriors for the 300, they didn't choose the best warriors. They didn't choose the best fighters. They didn't choose the people that they thought would be there um, to the end to die. What they did is they chose the people who were connected to the strongest women, whether that was their wives, their mothers, their sisters, because they knew that, if they lost the battle, then they'd go down in, in history as 300 men took on an army and tried to win like it has done. Whereas, and it would inspire the rest of the Greek people to yeah. team up and beat but the Persians. Yeah. If they lost the battle and the women that was behind them were weak, then mm-hmm. the whole of, I believe it was Greece, would fall apart because although the men fight the wars and fight the battles and are supposed to cause a protection the women build the communities and build the the they build the warriors they create the warriors that yeah. protect and without them everything falls apart and, I and, think and how can all perfect in the book yeah it was really cool i love that the part about the spartan women and, that, and like how can you expect a warrior to be brave if his you know if he's constantly being pulled home by, no, be, by the you know if you if you're not allowed to go, I mean that's what if you look at the Russian the way that they they put in a draft didn't they to get as many people as possible to fight in the Russia Ukraine conflict that's happening at the moment and by the sounds of it they've got lots of people from rural areas um, like Dagestan we mentioned before and other parts of of um, sort of the outskirts of Russia because the the people in those communities one they have a, a warrior culture. They live in the mountains. It's a hard life. And two, their women don't have a voice in the Russian nation because they are a fringe population of people. A lot of them are Muslim. They're not like majority white Russians. So they they don't have a voice. But if they were sending boys from St. Petersburg and Moscow, the mothers would be like, where are my boys? Why aren't they coming home? You know, you you think that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. The women don't have a voice, but but um, Khabib Nurmagomedov, we talked about him earlier. He's yeah. a Muslim, yeah, yep. And the the people think that the women don't have. A, I don't know if they do or they don't. But his reason for quitting MMA at twenty nine and all, or he never got to thirty, you know, which was what his dad always wanted for him, is because mm-hmm. his mother said to him, "I don't want you to fight anymore." Yes, and he quit. So yeah, they, they must. I, they, they, I think the women still rule the house. Definitely, my. A uh, little misunderstanding there. I wasn't talking about um, Muslim women not having a voice in their communities, although I know there is an argument that women in, in Islam are uh, repressed or oppressed. But um, I was ju- I just meant in in the Russian like the Russian Federation, like that because they're from a minority, they don't have the power of being able to, especially so if, the fact that they're, they're women. To so a they piece of shit bully, then that bully will get away with bullying them all their lives. Whereas if they're married to a decent, respectable guy, you'll treat them right. They'll run the household the same way they do in Western society. They've got less rights. But that it, type but of it, thing? Uh, no, I meant just in terms of like, if you look at it from, let's say, in the mind of 
the Russian government, the Russian、mm-hmm. military, they want soldiers that can go to the Ukraine and die, and they're not and, and a, a fuss not to be caused among the people, because it, that's why they're sending people from the fringe of Russia first. In the first wave, was all like boys from Dagestan and stuff, but if They sent boys from Moscow and Saint Petersburg, like big sort of westernized cities.、Um, the mothers are like, we're not going to let them go. We're like, we're we're gonna. And if they go and they don't come back, they're going to. They're the the mothers would have an education because they're not from a they're not from a fringe area where there's not as much education and there's not as much money. So they're more likely to be educated. They're more likely to have.、Um, More staying power when they talk about what's happened, and they could organize like marches, they could organize counter protests and stuff like that to actually cause a real problem. And then the Western media would see it, and then it could destabilize the whole war effort. So that's why they sent people from areas where、uh, they're not going to hear back from. It, people don't like the people in Saint Petersburg and Moscow can be blind to it, and they'll never run into these women. They'll never run into the mothers of the boys. Like、so、our mind type exactly. That's what I meant more than anything else.、Um, and I think that that's yeah something that they've they've、uh, a, a tactic that they've gone for. But everyone has used that tactic for the, all of time. Like that has been the tactic. The the soldiers like the the soldiers that were fighting in the Napoleonic campaigns we were talking about earlier were.、Um, The Duke of Wellington, the guy in charge of the British forces, were like they are like the absolute dregs of society. That most of them were criminals and people that had been drafted into the、um, army from poor houses and stuff like that. And he had no, like you know, he had no respect for them.、Um, ironically, most generals would have respect for the people under them anyway, because if you did have, you couldn't send them into situations knowing full well they were all going to die. Yeah, I guess the situation with the three hundred—they basically—it's in the book again. They、mm-hmm. basically were, were famed for saying、um, that, that when they have the little conversation before they have a war thing, but before they fight,、mm-hmm. they, 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 and whether it's true or not, I don't know because history is mostly made up. But、um, yeah. they basically turn around and said、um, something to do with so. So, what did you do? What did you do? What did you do? And most of the people they were fighting against were farmers and were cattlemen and were. Thingies, and it's、yeah. like so. We we might only be three hundred strong, but we've got more warriors than you, because these guys were and and、uh, taken from their homes at seven years old. In fact, this is a great story from the book actually, because people were taken、yeah. from their homes at seven years old, right? And then they, they they were drafted in and they were trained all the way up to when they were eighteen. And then when they were eighteen, they fought as as warriors、um, until they were sixty when they got out. And and the only people that would would have their name on a tombstone were people who had died in battle or women who died giving birth to a baby, which I thought was great because most societies push women to the side. And in this occasion, it's like well, if she dies in childbirth, she's as good as somebody who's died out in warrior,、um, yes. out in and get so. But but. I, th- I think, but then what would also happen is the 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 guy that ran it. I don't know who it was because I don't take names, as I always say to you. The leader of the battle. The, no, the guy that, that that ran all the community and that and, and trained all the warriors and stuff. He, he believed that、uh, uh-huh. men should eat with 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 other men, and they, and then so basically they could get married and they might not see their wife in or, or thing in daylight and for like、yeah. four, four or five years.、Um, so what they do is they'd, they'd have to sneak out at night. And I guess it's like having it makes the relationship way more exciting. They'd have to sneak、yeah. out at night to go and visit their their wives and girlfriends,、um, and kind of climbing through the window or whatever it is they do, and then sneak back off without getting caught or they'd be punished. And that was the only way they could kind of consummate their marriage or, or their relationships、yeah. until they were in the thirties. Yeah, they believed that. 
fucking mad that, innit? Yeah, they believe that the um, yeah, the uh, warriors were more. The children were would be stronger if they were conceived through like heated passion rather than like forced marital. Yes. Oh, I guess we have to. Yeah. Uh, so they that's why they sent them off. Uh, interestingly, um, Spartan women are often obviously they weren't. It, it wasn't exactly an equal society, but they were more equal than most Greek women because. Um, Spartan women are the only women that can give birth to Spartan boys. So they were treated as equals. I like that. That's really cool. Like wow. the, you're, you know, you're the only, and, and the Spartans had a really interesting, uh, concept, which is kind of like eugenics, you know, how like you can alter people's like selective breeding almost like the Spartans did selective breeding where the, they would try to. Uh, like strong women were seen as like the most um, desirable. So women who would like women would compete in athletics and stuff too um, up until a certain age. And they were um, probably until they got married or had a child and uh, that they were seen as more desirable if they were winning. Whereas like, you know, in some cultures it was more desirable for a woman to be like delicate and hidden away or, or fat or something like that. Where it was more like, um, a strong woman was seen as like really important. And so the strongest men would end up with the strongest women, which would re- result in the strongest children you would assume. But if a child was, uh, was so deemed all CrossFit athletes. <laughs> yeah. If a child was deemed to be not particularly, uh, not very strong or had a, a weak constitution, they would leave it out for the wolves on the mountain and just kill it. So yeah, they, there's no history of any woman ever complaining about that happening to a child. If you were born weak, yeah, no woman ever wept because why would you weep over a weak kid? It's pretty, pretty mad. The whole Spartan society was super interesting. Um, like, there's a a term we we even use it today. It's laconic, which means like a really short or like um like a yeah very short curt answer, like not giving much description. And uh, Sparta was the city, but the area around Sparta was called Laconia, and um there for some reason part of their warrior culture being too like saying too many words was seen as like foolishness or a waste of time so they would reply with very very short responses so for example um philip of macedonia um alexander the great's dad was um when he was rising to power uh, in the greek states he said to the laconians um i uh, if I come to Laconia, I will burn your cities to the ground, never to rise again. And their response, uh, their their response to that threat was if. And I I think that's a such a badass response. Yeah, if so if you about. invade. So and he actually didn't. He I think he actually left them alone, which is quite funny. Um, but yeah, they they did end up getting wrecked, the Spartans. But it was uh, they they still um, left a real mark on history. Ooh, look at that. That's very cool. I just did <laughs> it. I pressed it. Right, one sec. Let's pull the next one Hit up. It. Yes. Mastery skills. Warriors work... So this, yeah, it's mostly my notes at the first get in a minute. Um, warriors work hard to be the best they can be. So, so it's all about mastering skills. Uh, mm-hmm. We can all try to get better at what we do every day. And it was just something like that I thought. Is, is they work on... They, they say even in business, right, and there's a thing in, in, in a lot of what 
what, what I do because I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people who make a lot of money doing crazy mad shit. But there's something called shiny, shiny object syndrome where a lot of people who are unsuccessful are, are constantly jumping from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And what they're trying to do is make quick yeah. cash, make quick money, and they never get good at actually anything at all. Um, and I think in, 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 in warrior society that they focus and, and sometimes they're forced into focusing on it, but they're focusing on the one thing that's going to make them, um, make them great kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think like if you're looking at it from, um, <laughs> Alden says, yeah, why waste energy on unnecessary words? Yeah. That's, uh, one of my biggest problems to be honest. I say a lot of unnecessary words. But I think it, you know, if if that's something that you find yourself doing, start a podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> An unnecessary uh, one. Uh, yeah, working hard to be the best that they can be. I think as well, warriors that the warrior mindset is like, there's someone out there that's training, just you know, just as hard as me. And if I'm taking days off, that person's going to overtake me. And uh, especially in business, like especially in tech, you know, there's like a constantly changing landscape. And if you're not keeping on the, on the crest of the wave of all of this new stuff, then you're going to fall behind. And, and there's another million intelligent startups out there that are going to take your spot. So um, I think that's, like, there was a point where uh, I think it was Alexander was training and he, him and his, um, his bodyguard would run barefoot and swim in like freezing cold streams and just train all the time in the forest and, not allowed to um, sleep in comfort, even though he was a prince. Um, and the li- the his, I think his father says to him, like, "Well, whilst you are like sitting here in luxury, the sons of Persia are training every day to to destroy you, to kill and, you." Yeah, the, the, the leads on to this next one, which was one of my favorites, and it was something I didn't think I'd get from this book. But friendship warriors form strong bonds with their teammates. They're loyal and stick together, and when we're talking about warriors here, we're not just talking about these guys that, that that live in huts and fight in fields. We're talking about soldiers. We're talking about communities. We're talking about cl- like like even even terrorists. They are yeah. still warriors in their own um, in their own way, and they do become loyal and they stick together and they believe what they're doing is right, even though we believe what they're doing is wrong. But they they they, they build friendships that i don't think you can get such loyal bonds where people would die completely die yeah. for you anywhere else absolutely like the the camaraderie is super strong and I, that's that's one of the things that militarization builds isn't it when you go off and do these really hard doing hard things together like builds like a ridiculously strong bond with anyone even if it's not military i think just doing like you know team building exercises are usually like adventure training and stuff like that aren't they and like i have a ridiculously strong bond with the guys i lived at uni with because it was tough like living away from your family is horrible like you know there were some perks don't get me wrong we would party all the time but we would get into because we were partying all the time we would there would be trouble that we'd get into you know whether that was with the university or whether that was like you know personal trouble and, and you end up just when you're always like you can rely on them all the time and they're there during like horrible moments, you almost form like a trauma bond. And I think that that's something that soldiers definitely have. They have this shared trauma and understanding. A trauma of, bond. Is that a real, is that a real thing? Or did you just make that up? Cause that's pretty cool. A trauma bond. Yeah, I didn't make it up. I didn't make it up. But no, yeah, it's people, a real thing. people who go through trauma together bond. Uh, ah. 
get have a stronger bond. That's, That's why, why you end up with. Uh, sorry, go on. Yeah, when you meet children who've been brought up by abusive parents, what you find is those children are very, very close and loyal to one another. Fiercely loyal, yeah. Yeah, over over every everybody else is an outsider and they've kind of stuck together through the thick and thin of whatever it is of an abusive mother or father or... Yeah, and and that the trauma bond thing can be the case of, you know, um, uh, relationships between people. It, does, it doesn't necessarily need to be a good thing either. Like if you have a romantic relationship with someone and something very traumatic happens, like you get in a, a bad car accident together or something like that, even if your relationship isn't very good, if the relationship is maybe violent or abusive or whatever, you might end up staying in that relationship for a really long time because you have this shared trauma. You believe you can't really exist in a world where you don't have someone around you that has that same background Experience. in that trauma yeah so it can like it can really stunt people quite badly yeah I can, Im- I can imagine actually yeah people brought up where where they've had these horrible traumas in life and then they meet people who've had a really easy thingy life when they're moaning and bitching about it you'd kind of resent them um yeah because you're like you're fucking moaning for it you don't know how lucky you've been but they've also still got things to moan about they just don't at the same level so because they've not had the same trauma but that yeah. i guess i guess yeah kind of even if it's segregated trauma in two different areas and then they meet together afterwards but they've all got the same history it kind of would would yeah okay trauma bond like it yeah yeah i think it's definitely something that you could like because so well, i was i used to work with a guy who'd been in the um army for a while and um he said that back in the day they used to fight all the time and that you'd go in with your unit into the pub and you'd all be drinking and then someone from another unit would come in and even though you're both in a time of war fighting for the same team you're so your the competitive spirit is drummed up within your small like tribe um like the small group of people that you share like your everyday living with that you're you are openly aggressive towards other units even in the same even in the same yeah, they say that don't they if you get two tribes they will fight together but then as soon as the fight is finished the joint fight is finished they'll start fighting each other yeah yeah and i mean that's that's one of the biggest downfalls of all of the tribal like people always say like oh you know why didn't the um american indians like you know team up and just fight against the um because they uh, killed each other every the time white. they came across yeah. each other as well yeah because they were all fucking killing each other at the same time it was just like massive i read something somewhere Do you reckon that that's biggest... why the spanish was able to take over mexico certainly yeah that is the reason why because they were the other people that weren't part of the aztec empire were like fuck these guys man they come to our villages we fight them they capture us because that's an interesting thing about aztec society is that the greatest warrior was the warrior that wasn't killing his his foe he was capturing them um because they would then sacrifice them these you say that about Alexander as well. What Alexander used to do after he took he took over a place, he'd move in and he and he'd basically have a ceremony to say how brave all the warriors that had died from that place were, and then yeah. he would drag get all the survivors and take them with him as part of his. And by the time he got uh, halfway through his conquests, he had more soldiers that he'd acquired along the way than people yeah. that had actually started out with him at the beginning. Um, and kind of yeah, he, he basically he used human psychology to to make them part of his gang. Yeah, Cyrus, Cyrus the Great did that, who was like basically the last great ruler of sort of like Persia and that area before Alexander. And I think he was stealing a lot from his playbook. Uh, Cyrus was known to be like very kind. So did Cyrus write about it all? Or how, how do you Cyrus, know about it? Or was it just uh, there were stories? lots of people wrote about 
a few people wrote about Cyrus, like they chronicled him, but the most, the things we know about Alexander and Cyrus, I think come from Herodotus, who was like, the people call him the father of history, but also the father of lies because he just told some really wild stuff. But he, uh, he wrote most of our sort of like ancient history around that time comes from Herodotus, who is a, um, yeah, a Greek writer. The father of fiction, let's call it. The him. father of fiction, yeah. Um, and he, uh, yeah, but, um, interestingly, Cyrus, he was uh, trying to conquer all of these places and he would often use, you know, like I said, kindness and he would um, take over a city and then be like, no, no, you know, you, you can keep your city um, and you can keep worshipping your gods, but now you will, you know, pay, I, I will join in. And like he famously made his son... Um, do like this really um who, old... who did alexander cyrus did all oh, right i was gonna say i thought Alex... alexander was gay did he have kids i don't think Ale alexander didn't have any children but they think he probably had like bastard sons but they don't believe that he had any like children children um and okay. that talking about friendship being gay like that there, there was a lot of the bonds formed in like ancient warrior cultures like the spartan one um there was a lot of um what we would consider now homosexuality but uh like we were talking about with the samurai who also had a similar thing samurai were would often have um like uh sexual physical relationships with a man um even romantic relationships in fact with a man um who was also like part of their sort of like warrior brotherhood until he had a wife and then he would stop that um i think in the past people you know sex was something people did and not what people were it wasn't their identity it was just something that they you know engaged in it was less of a uh, next one like that honor warriors honor. behave with respect and take responsibility for their actions now i wrote this one down because i feel that it was it was like i think one of the stories was about a kid with a fox in his jacket where where he didn't yes. want to get caught stealing so he let it rip his stomach apart without without making a noise and um he died, he bled to death, but obviously he did get found out for stealing, but he did it so he wouldn't get caught. And then apparently they used to have, when when the warriors, I think it's the same ones, were getting whipped and being mm -hmm. tortured, they, they would take it without making any noise. And people would travel miles and miles and miles. They say hundreds of miles in the book, but I think it's bullshit. No one travels hundreds of miles back in the day, they'd be dead, right? Because, <laughs> wouldn't they though? And a little farm guy like, yeah, let's go hundred miles. It's like, what was he driving? Yeah, I, I think the, the nobility would probably travel yeah. that far maybe. People, people, would, people uh, underestimate how like mobile people in the ancient world were. Like we had boats people, traveling all over the place. Poor people weren't, were they? Poor people no, were fucking poor people walking. Were, yeah, they own their little bit of land, so they'd stay there. But people anyway. would travel to see these people being whacked and hit and tortured because they would do it without actually making a sound. They were that tough. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I loved it. I mean, I think that's the end of my notes. Is it? I think I've got a couple more kicking in further down, but yours are yeah. kicking in now. Um, not yeah, the, the, the next one's really sort of... Wait there. I'm waiting. Well, look at that. Fantastic. For those just listening, we're we're getting hyped up because we've got some more. We've got some like subscribe animations um, that we're putting into our videos, um, which is a good point to say that um, you should probably subscribe to this to this podcast if you enjoy what you're listening to and you listen to us regularly. Subscribe, hit a like, do that stuff. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify, you can rate the podcast too. I believe there's like a little five star thing. Give us five stars, and if you're not going to give us five stars, maybe don't bother. Um, so anyway, uh, let's, let's continue talking about, 
um honor was the point i sort of started off with which was my note is is honor coded in our genes are we genetically is there something in our genes that that points us towards having these kind of ethical um honorable intentions or is that something that we learn through through society i would say self-preservation is encoded in our genes and Mm -hmm. if it's if it's fed to you as honor then you would you will act honorable because of self-preservation i think humans are selfish and because that's why i think religion has become so popular is because it uses people's fear and selfishness against them to control Mm -hmm. them um and i feel that yeah, I don't think honor is coded. I think self-preservation is coded in our genes. Maybe I'm wrong. Let you... uh, no, I I think you're probably, I think it's something that that, that we learn. Um, I think it's a learned behavior that to be to be honorable because what is honorable changes in society to, to society. So I think it is something that's not uh, necessarily something we're born with. But clearly there's a, a, a gap in there in our genes where we like that kind of stuff because we i think there's something that makes us we like to drawn good about to ourselves it. i think it's something that it, i think we're drawn to it maybe naturally drawn to it but i think that might like you said self-preservation might be our natural urge to uh to keep the tribe happy or to you know like um integrate in society rather than actually being to be honorable because i've worked with children and there's not a lot of honor amongst children <laughs> there's a lot of stealing they don't give a fuck they're like, a lot it's of mine yeah like i'm gonna just yeah. smack you in the face and take it it's very like base instinct like chimpanzees kind of behavior you don't see a lot of of honorable yeah. but what we would do, consider honorable they do chimpanzees do have a lot of self-preservation so i think nah, it's self-preservation i think I'm, i think i might be right for once here yeah first time like for everything it. Yeah, I think I agree with you. The honor isn't something that's in our genes, but maybe uh, something that our genes point us towards by making us want to stay alive. Um, so talking about religion, um, the uh, my next note is the first castle, the Garden of Eden, which I uh, it says in the in the book, where does the warrior ethos and our sort of like, uh, yeah, where, where does the warrior come from? Because if it's not something that we're born with, like we've just agreed, why did we all start doing it? Stories, were, myths. Yeah. But again, why would you tell those stories if you're not interested in them? Control. It, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So I think, I think everything, everything, that's why I love stories. That's why I love writing. That's why, that's why I've tried to write books and I, I never went to school because everything comes from a story and, and, and stories are the most powerful thing ever. And I think, the, I think the story of Jesus Christ is, is the proof of how powerful a story is. I mean, I mean, it's killed more people than any other stuff. I mean, it's 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 obviously gave more people um, what they call were not belief. What what do you call it when they got something to believe in? Uh, faith. faith. It's give more people faith than anything else, but it's also kill more people than probably any other story that was ever created. And yeah. whether whether it's true or not true, I don't know. But it, it's definitely a great story. Doesn't really matter if it's true or not true if the story is good enough. Yep. So it, I, I, it exists I, I, on its own. Um, but yeah, I was uh, the reason I brought up Adam and Eve is the. Um, he says in the book about how um, the the warrior code comes from when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, and they were chucked who, out of the who, garden. Who of Eden. The apple was it Adam or Eve? It was Eve. I will talk about that in a second. Um, so yeah, in the Bible it says, "Hence, henceforth, thou eat 
thy bread in the sweat of thy face, which means now you've got to work for your food. You can't just sit around eating figs from the trees and walking around naked. You're going to get cold. Uh, life is going to suck. Uh, you're going to have to really like man up <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and actually take control of what's happening. But I think that maybe the warrior, the, the warrior ethos or, or the biological sort of code behind the warrior ethos might have existed before and in the same story so the garden of of eden eden just means like a the word eden comes from like a well-watered place it means somewhere that is very lush and has lots of water because remember that the, this book was written in a place which is kind of deserty <laughs> so it would mean that this this was a place with loads and loads of trees and like an abundance of food but the antagonist in this story is the snake um, and so there's this snake and it's gone into paradise and paradise comes from the word that from a word that means a walled garden. So paradise means a walled garden, which is kind of ironic because now everyone has, you know, everyone sort of strives to have their own little garden, like a little place, their own little paradise, which is kind of cute, I think. But so we have paradise, the garden of Eden, and then we have a snake that's got in. So the walls aren't keeping the snake out. Um, and, Interestingly, Adam isn't the one that takes the apple. In fact, he, you know, is the he's against it. He doesn't want to talk to the snake. But Eve is the, is, is sort of kind to it. Now, and I think that that's, I think, the 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 male warrior ethos is to is to defend uh, and cast out like the enemies and the danger and the threat. Like if a lion is attacking the village, it's the men that's going to go out and, and sort it. If a guy walks in the office right now with a gun, I'm, I'm going to try and take him out or die. Like it's just what it's, we've talked about it before. It's kind of what's like guys just tend to have it in us to be like, well, we've got to, you know, women and children first, like get, get them out and we'll, we'll just suck it up and die. But the, the female warrior spirit is one of real, like, uh, sort of like nurturing protection and mercy and like looking after like children or like a, a woman will like defend their child with, with like incredible strength because of just like their sort of instincts and like you know i is it that eve takes mercy on the snake and it's like being merciful towards the snake and it's like yeah you're like a snake and you're dangerous but i'm willing to give you a chance whereas the man's like the warrior i don't, of the man I don't actually like, oh, know the story i just know one of them at an apple off a tree and then they got kicked out uh, okay well the snake tells eve to eat the apple and she does okay and then and then uh god has told them already to not eat any fruit from the tree because that's the tree of knowledge and as soon as they eat the apples they're like uh, and interestingly, interestingly enough, Eve then says to Adam, you should eat this apple, like come join me. And he does. So he's like listening to her and taking orders from her, which is quite interesting as well. Like it's almost like I, I she's think, in, I, in charge. I, think I remember getting told about this story when I was in school and I was like, this is bullshit. Steaks don't talk. And that was it straight away. I wasn't listening. <laughs> it was and, gone. And I've never listened to it because I was like, yeah, we don't talk to animals. That was kind of my, um, my child brain saying, and, and, and I've never, I don't know the story. I, I know Adam and Eve want to meet an apple, but that was all I knew. Yeah. So they, they both end up eating the apples and they are from the tree of knowledge and they end up gaining the knowledge. They get become self-aware and they become conscious of the fact that they're naked. They get shame because they're, they're, they're ashamed because they're naked and they start hiding themselves from God. Um, 
um yeah alden says that damn woman she had to fuck us all up yeah yeah i think that that's uh maybe what the modern church would like people to believe it doesn't seem to like women very much we talked about that a few episodes back didn't we but maybe that's yeah, where the story comes from but looking at history i i i feel bad but, but the story to me now when i listen to it i'm like why didn't adam stop her if the man is like this strong manly in charge of the household why he's made stop up her? Don't you? like yeah but all of these stories like you said the stories are super powerful and they will have there's meanings hidden in them um at very various levels of depth and i think that you know you've got to examine the story a little bit so what does um, this one mean the war of women well the, that we were talking before about um we said how wars are fought by soldiers who were usually predominantly yeah. men um but the wars are won by civilians and strong women who, who control the men because do you know what the one thing about yeah. our warriors is they 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 they're controlled by somebody. Mm-hmm. And if they're controlled by a strong woman behind them, then they can succeed and do great things. Whereas if they're yeah. not, then they tend to turn into what you would call a mummy's boy, who in most societies is known across the world. The mummy's boy is like a little fucking pussy. Uh, yeah. Whereas a guy who's controlled by a strong woman or somebody who's less forgiving, like, slap them around the head and say, get your ass out there and sort it out. Or you're getting bullied at school, we'll go and crack them one. Will usually um, be much better as a warrior, I would imagine. Yeah. And it's also the how women apply that strength because women have a lot of control over men in terms of like, you know, physically, men are obviously hopelessly attracted to women. And there's so many stories, you know, Troy about Paris and how he wants to uh, get Helen of Troy and he steals her away from her, her her betrothed and causes the trojan war and massive destruction the whole that whole sort of thing happens because of men's hopeless attraction to women and wanting to commoditize them um and yeah the, uh, women are really powerful they have power over men uh do you think the wars were fought by men but won by women well i wouldn't say necessarily won by just women i i would say that they were won by the civilians and politicians, because at the end of the day, an army is only as strong as the people that are feeding it. Um, okay. yeah, and if, if your army doesn't have any food and, and women really had to like, that's one of the reasons why women ended up getting suffrage, like the right to vote and the right to work was because we went on these massive industrial scale wars um, in the 1900s where they needed to work. We needed people to, to make guns. Nowadays, to make food. We were talking about this the other week. Nowadays, people can't afford to live in the UK, or especially in places like where we live, where it's where it's quite nice. In the UK, single parent families, it's like you can't afford to buy a house unless you've got a partner to buy it with you. So the man mm-hmm. and the woman have to work nowadays. Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? How, how how devalued the pound has become compare in comparison to what you actually get for it. Whereas- yeah, and it's an interesting debate as well. It's like. Now, like women obviously wanted to work because they wanted to earn their own money so they could be independent of of men who were, as we've learned in our in our uh, reading, not very nice nope, to women a lot of the time. Um, but the the other thing is, you know, like because they they wanted to work, they ended up getting trapped in the exact same rat race that men do which a lot of the time men feel honor or duty bound to continuously earn you know in your webinars you say about how 
um, you were inspired to do what you what you did and really pull your finger out and go for it because you were having a child because yeah. of you taking well, on the started, I wasn't bothered about anything it's like you know what I've got no one else to look after but myself and I'm, and I can make two three hundred quid a day and still party every night yeah so, I was happy. <laughs> so, so you felt like honor bound to like sort yeah. your sort yourself out and provide and, and make people around you proud whereas like you know if you don't have that that grounding you're not you're not going to get that and it men can easily get trapped in that and did for a long time like chasing status in terms of um work and you end up stuck in a nine to five you don't want to do and all of these things and now women are have the same problem and it's a problem that they wanted but now you kind of think like how many of how many of them would be like oh, i'd love to just stay home all the time <laughs> just yeah. have someone come and bring me money and i just sit at home and eat nice Who's food cook and clean you're done by 10 o'clock every morning and you can so, chill out and watch netflix all day you know i know a lot a bunch of men would like to do that but that it's just kind of you know no, but also it, mind. it takes away the meaning of the whole situation you don't have a lot of meaning there if you if you're just your point of existence is just to chill i think the the meaning came from raising children which now the um for better or for worse the uh, birth rate is really low Lots, not many people are having children anymore so um th there's yeah, less like, need well, for that the human race is just a bacteria in it that just breeds and spreads and wrecks everything well we just let's put it in a sentence <laughs> but yeah i mean we we're just life like anything else and we do we make our patterns are similar to life like all over the world like any kind of animal would do that uh all right next note from hunters to warriors so this is where the book says that the uh distinction between just a tribe of people ended up becoming like a, a warrior band and um in the book stephen pressfield says that it is his idea is that it comes from from the group of hunters so now we spoke about after people are cast out from the garden of eden they have to work for themselves they have to become um they have to hunt for their own food um so when people started hunting uh, big game especially they had to work together and they that's what the hunting band you need to be brave and courageous and and um you need to have uh integrity because you need to share you need to be selfless because you again you need to to share parts of the food um and you have to be loyal to your other hunters because you know if a, if a predator comes along or a lot of the time these people were competing with wolves and lions and cave bears and all sorts of horrible shit um you had to you know team up to take something like that down and especially like a big animal you'd need to human strength is their communication their ability to talk and work together and um so you need to be loyal. So all of these warrior, the, all the parts of the warrior ethos are all, all would all be present in the hunter, the hunter and gatherer sort of society. And that's where Stephen Pressfield thinks it comes from. And yeah, I think probably true to be honest, because then the hunting territory is the first real borders that you'd ever have. And if you have borders, you need to protect them. And to protect a border, you need warriors. So it would make sense to me. So where do the biggest, how... most dangerous animals come from? What do you mean? What, like, in the world, geographically? Well, yeah, because you'd expect, if that was true, you'd expect, like, I I'm assuming it's, like, where hippos and, and, and rhinos and uh, elephants and stuff come from. Uh -huh. but, but, but do they have the most fierce warriors, or don't they? Because if they don't, then mm. it kind of throws a spanner in the works of what he's talking about. Because if you live in the UK... Yeah. Then, 
there's not really much to be scared of other than people. Whereas if you live in Australia, I think you've got some pretty nasty shit kicking around. I believe them big kangaroos used to be able to rip your guts out and stuff. But then if you're living in Africa where you've got like uh, like lions and fucking um, hippos and all sorts, I think hippos come from Africa, I'm not sure. Um, Then you'd expect that Africa would have the greatest warriors. But is have they got the greatest warriors or is it because they've become warriors and they've also been able to help one another? Then again, taking down things like, I don't know. I'll just ask you. I think uh, in terms of like the biggest animals, you'd have to like, historically, obviously there were like woolly rhinos and mammoths and all sorts of stuff like hyenas and leopards in England and all over the place. Like the climate was different. So the, like dispersion of animals was, was different. Um, there weren't any people in Australia for quite a long time. So um, by the time they got there... Well, it was the, the tribes of the uh, the guys that... When, when they sent all the criminals over there, didn't they wipe out all the... Yeah, there were Aborigines there, but like in terms of like they had to get <laughs> to still, Australia. There's still people. <laughs> you can't say if you're an yeah, Aborigine, no, no. not a person. No, I mean like they, they went born to... In Australia. No, I mean the the they had to travel to Australia like when they were when we were sort of early human beings hmm. the people that became the aboriginal australians had to travel to australia and, and when they got there there was things living in australia that were like giant and super weird that wouldn't be living anywhere else because humans had already been there for a long time and were part of the ecosystem whereas like australia was like a new ecosystem that they went there um uh, yeah, because they said yeah. all the giant kangaroos and stuff got wiped out, didn't they? Weird yeah, giant wombats and stuff because they just weren't used to competing with humans and they just got Because we wrecked. had strategy and logic, so we kicked their asses. Yeah, we teamed up and yeah, yeah. We, we were pretty good at hunting stuff by the end. But um, on, sorry, still what on. I was going to say about that, the, the African thing, um, yep. I think hard places make hard people. And you can see that with like people that live in mountains tend to have been like communities that live in mountains tend to be like tougher, more, um, the, the more warrior cultures come from mountains than anywhere else. I'm pretty sure because of the, uh, how tough it is and the terrain and stuff. But the, uh, uh, right now there are still warrior cultures that exist in, um, Africa, for example, that are still sort of like a hunting society. And the Maasai are one of them that's pretty interesting. I don't know if you've heard of the Maasai before. No. So they have a, um, there's some cool stuff about them, to be honest. Their, their rite of passage is to hunt a lion, a male lion. So originally one Maasai warrior would go out and they, they live in modern day Kenya, by the way. Um, is this where and, they have to um, go out by themselves and come back with a lion skin? Yeah, come back with a lion's mane. I've seen it on yeah. a cartoon, I think. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that's, what, that's what they used to have to do. But now they're still allowed to hunt lions. It's not like been banned for them or anything. It's still their rite of passage, but they do it in larger groups because there's not enough lions. Otherwise, you know, if there's 20 of them, they've got to kill 20 male Why lions. Why don't they just go out and kill a hyena and bring one of them back instead? And it's like, you know what, let's change it from a lion to a hyena. And then we're... That's because the lion is a sacred animal. The lion is, uh, because the lion represents like royalty and power, and it, it does all you Imagine know. Our symbol that. is how old was he when he sent them out to do that? Like, did you know it was a rite of passage, so they would have been young, they would have been young warriors. You know, imagine that, right? Like, 12, how scary that would have been. And it's like, I'm not going, like, I'm not going behind the school to have a fight with someone, like, no. <laughs> who's bigger than me. I'm gonna go and 
Hunt a Lion by Myself. What's yeah, that film and... called? Idris Elba. He's one of the best actors in. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, he is. He scraps a bunch beast. of lions, doesn't he? Yeah. Beast, mate. When you see how dangerous they are in real life, it's like, hold on. Oh, can you go out with a stick? <laughs> yeah, you just go out with a spear and, and a shield and fight lions. It's mad. There's some really old footage of a whole like group of them taking down a male lion, and like some the lion just runs towards them at one point and just takes a guy out, rips him up yeah. on the floor, and then just moves on. And it end, ends up obviously they kill it in the end, but um, it's pretty crazy that that's still a, a rite of passage that they do. And, and the one who throws the first spear ends up wearing the lion's mane, which is pretty sick. So I've got they also. I'll let you finish. I'll let you finish first. Um, are they also an interesting thing is they have a jumping competition. Like they, they're sort of uh, one of their societal things is their warriors jump to like a, to like a, a, to music. And it's not like a long jump. It's a vertical, a standing vertical jump. They just hop. And um, modern scientists believe that that is one of the best um, it's one of the best ways of working out how athletic someone is, is how high they can jump from vert- just standing, how high vertically they can jump. So the more athletic people can jump higher. And that was how they uh, worked out their sort of prestige of their warriors was to have jumping competitions. So and it's funny how they... players are the fittest people? Uh, some of the most athletic, yeah. It's like how, how they worked, how the Maasai worked that out as like a nomadic uh, pastoralist tribe on in africa and they still managed to find out that the vertical jump is the best way to dictate who's the strongest warrior and the scientists believe that it, it correlates with uh, the amount of testosterone that the person has in their body um which again is insane when you think like they they're getting high testosterone dudes that are like <laughs> well um, let me put some of these comments up first because yeah, we've seen the numbers I'll, ticking up i'll read them i mean if the asteroid never happened there would still be dinosaurs We've also got one that yeah. says kangaroos pretend to be stuck in lakes to lure people in and drown them. I don't know. If that's oh, true fuck. That's gnarly. We've got hyenas. Hyena is for noobs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go after the hyena. I'll let you fuckers have the lions. I'm telling you. Yeah. And then we've got a great oh, no, I'm the hyena guy. guy. <laughs> now, now we're in a world of, of dating apps. I think this one's brilliant. New dating profile. First question you ask a guy, how high can you do <laughs> How can you jump? That's not a bad. I mean, they ask you how tall you are. You might as well ask how high you can jump. One of the entrepreneurs told him, and and he basically, this guy who wanted to play basketball, um, couldn't because he couldn't jump very high. So he spent months and months and months or years or whatever it was trying to fucking teach himself to jump high. Yeah. And then what he did is he created a training course and 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 a community of people who want to be able to jump high. And he made millions. Knees over toes guy. Is he knees over toes guy? I don't know. I ain't got a clue who he is. I just know. Oh, I think, he's I think mega I... famous on YouTube, Knees Over Toes guy. He wow. he was like a basketball player and he like injured his knee. And then to rehab, to get back to jumping, he ended up creating this like protocol. And now it's massive. Yeah. I, I know the story. I don't know the names or the guys. I think I he was on Joe Rogan. From. You know what I'm like? I just, I, I, I pick up stories, me. I don't pick up people's names and stuff. But no, yes, I... there was a guy who taught people to jump high and uh, made millions out of it, which is he's fucking brilliant. That's crazy. You know, they they actually talking about hyenas being for noobs. They uh, um, historically they've correlated human domestication of dogs. So when we started using dogs to um, help us out, and the extinction of the cave hyena was like around the same time. So humans, what they theorize has happened is that humans domesticated dogs and then sent the dogs into caves to sniff out hyenas so they could kill them and go live in their caves, which is. Pretty cool. 
So the, them humans were shitbags while the other guys was running around with a stick trying to fight lions. It's just like there's two different yeah. classes of people, isn't there? Right, yeah. uh, we've got another note of mine here. I thought mine had yeah. run out. So society's role. Society helps shape warriors by sending uh, by setting rules and expectations. I'm getting good at writing these now because it seems I'm getting a uh, since we're getting yeah. Into- Communities can create their own warriors by teaching ideals like respect and duty. And what I meant by this was, is if you're in any sort of tribe or gang or anything, if you can start teaching people to look up to somebody, a leader, then you can actually create warriors out of them because they care more about what the leader thinks than they do about um, about themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 it just it stuck with me that because I think this is kind of the outline of how societies do it. How the like I think the thing to do with the with the American uh, Marines who are yeah. proud that the the government treat them worse than the soldiers is like it didn't make yeah. any sense to me at all until you were kind of explained it a little bit. But it's still I I wouldn't want to be in that situation. Like I'd be like fuck off. You're not spending less money on me. Yeah, <laughs> and giving me less than the other guys. I'd be like no, not happening. Maybe it's because you're not in the competition. If you were in the competition, you'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, like, you're embedded that, in it, yeah. man." But the guy you're getting right less money. Top. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't change that, can you? The guy right at the top doesn't see it like that, though. Does the guy right at the top thinks, "Wow, these guys are mad. These guys want us to spend less money on them, feed them crap of food, Perfect. and they want all the hard jobs." Boom! Let's yeah. go to the Marines. And they end up being the toughest and then they have a prestige and then young kids are like, "Yeah, I would. I don't want to just go into the military. I want to go into the military in the coolest." Most prestigious unit. I want to be a Marine. Hoorah. And then there's yours. Um, yeah, we discussed this a little bit earlier. Uh, poverty is a powerful weapon and, and that it connects like perfectly uh, to the Marines thing. It's like they're, they're self-imposing poverty because in modern day America, yes, there is poverty, but there's less than some of the places that they're invading. <laughs> so they, uh, yeah, have to basically impose poverty. And um, that's something that they talked about in the Hagakure too, last, um, the week before last, about the samurai and how they should not eat like very much. And if they're not hungry, they shouldn't touch food and like how they should be, you know, what like uh, have a dog skin on the outside, but a tiger skin on the inside was something they said, which is like, you can be. Uh, I thought that was, to... maybe I'm wrong, don't matter, carry on. It's about sort of, I interpreted that as being like, you know, be like, look, you can be a, um, uh, not have a lot of wealth or the material possessions, but inside you're, you have like the strength. Uh, I completely the... misunderstood that bit. I thought they were talking about the cult that they were. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what they're, they're, they're yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, when you said it, then I thought, oh, maybe, maybe, yeah, that makes more sense than to. Yeah, I think it was more of a metaphor than than actual wearing a dog skin, but <laughs> <laughs> the samurai wearing like a dog skin hat. Um, so yeah, poverty, super powerful weapon, and you can you see that, like, like I said in the UFC, you end up people like from dagestan people are like, oh man these dagestanis they're just so damn tough like even if a dagestani comes into the ufc and they don't have many they don't have a huge uh record or they don't have like wins over anyone anyone knows they're a bit I'm of an unknown of dude yeah they come in and they have like a yeah they have like a dagestani name people are just like fuck that i don't want to fight this guy like i know that he's going to be so tough and you're just going to have to kill him to get him out of there like that's the 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 long and short of it is 
if your life is so hard that it's that it's easier to be in like you know in a ring getting battered than it is getting a normal job then what are you going to have to do to get that guy out of there i think i've noticed that in the last couple of luke rockhold fights he seemed to get beat um yeah in his head before he got beat physically absolutely then then he got his ass kicked right another one from you guilt and shame did god kill our inner warrior yeah so um in the book, it talks about um, societies being governed by um, one of two things. And he talks about one of them being governed by guilt and one of them being covered, uh, governed by shame. So our society in sort of um, Judeo-Christian Western society is a guilt-based society on the basis of the fact that there is a God that can see our thoughts and see all of our actions all the time, this om- omnipotent God that can that is always watching you. So whenever you do something wrong, you should feel guilty about it and apologize. Um, and, you know, that's the basis of our sort of... Uh... Whereas warriors would just kick ass and then say, fuck off. In fact, I've got a chapter in one of my books about this. That if you do it or you're saying it, then own it. Because the second you start feeling guilty for something, society, people love to pick on someone who's like, I'm really sorry. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, like mm. um, I, I know a guy who cheated on his missus and... and she caught him and he just basically said, well, do you know what? Fuck it. I'm not asked. Go fuck off. Do one. I'm not bothered. And she didn't. She was like, uh, but I think if he'd gone home and apologized and said, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do it. And I'm not saying it's a good thing to cheat on your wife. I'm just saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Or that he'd gone home and been apologetic and been, been a little pussy. She'd have probably controlled him for the rest of his life. Whereas now it's like, well, it is what it is. What do you want to do next? Like I've done it, deal with it. And I'm not going to let you, after today, I'm not going to let you make me feel bad about it. I won't do it again type of thing. And mm. yeah, I feel that if you apologize for, for doing things, especially if you don't regret them. Yeah, I think that's one of the main points, though, isn't it? It's like if you do have like regrets, making amends for them is, is, is you know, can nah, be good for the, can be good for the soul. It. I think if you do it, you've got to own it. I think if you don't then you're opening yourself up, especially in, 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 in modern society when people are looking for a reason, right? Like, like yeah. I, th- I can't remember what it was. It was a, there was a woman, that, that there was a, what, I think it was a woman who said men are men, women are women, right? In America. Mm-hmm. Um, and she lost a job for it. Right. right. And it's like, it's fucking ridiculous. You're born a man or you're born a woman. It doesn't mean you, 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 it's fucking ridiculous. And for, for her to lose her job for saying, well, men are men, women are women. It's, it's like me turning around and saying, monkeys are monkeys and tigers are tigers. Well, yes, they fucking are because that's what the barn has. There's no change in it. There's no thing. Just because internally you feel that way. Right. And yeah. Feel- and, and like, so obviously some people are like born with like, uh, like, born with both sexual parts and stuff like that. But that's like saying that humans don't have two legs. No, no, what I'm saying is, right, is that, she was crucified for saying that. Yeah, and which is ridiculous. If you apologize for doing something, whether you believe it or you don't believe it, you're in a situation where you're opening yourself up to be criticized and to be actually fucking, you may as well be put on a cross and, and crucified because you've apologized for doing something. So you better to just say, you know what, go fuck yourself. Yeah, you're I think off if- saying that because then they'll leave you alone and move on to the next person that's going to apologize. I think Joe Rogan did a good job of doing that. Like when he got in like hot water for the covid thing he didn't like you know people were like coming out of the woodwork and saying i'm taking my music off of spotify because of joe rogan blah 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 and his like sort of response was just like 
Yeah, it gives a fuck. Yeah, like so I said, what? what I said. I believe what I believe. Like it is what it is. Like obviously, there were parts of it that I think he he um, uh, apologized for. If they weren't true, he'll own up to it, which is not the same as a as apologizing. I think correcting. Yeah, but saying okay, I was wrong, right? Yeah, that is ownership. Going around and saying I'm sorry now, crucify me for this and destroy yeah. my life and re- nah. Yeah, and I think him being like tough about it actually ended up. Meaning, that I think if he was apologizing and people were just like loading on the the pressure, because yeah, I reckon Spotify would have dropped him. But because he was Spotify, just like people would have crucified him for years to come, and it'd have been one of these guys you couldn't leave his house. Whereas instead, he's Dana White did it recently. Dana White slapped his wife, right? Yes, he's he's fired so many people, right, from the UFC <laughs> for, for cracking misses. You don't hit yeah. women. You don't hit women. You don't hit women. He's, and he just turned around. He went, "We've been married thirty years. It is what it is." Yeah, he said I shouldn't have done it. It is what it is. It's the first time it's happened, and that's it. He moved on, and people yeah. were talking about it, slagging him off, and it was like it's different rules for him and it is for them. But the way he handled it was to just to just move on, and and he just yeah. totally ignored what was going on about it. He's mm. like, I've, I've said what I'm saying, done. And she hit him first, and he retaliated with a slap. So you're like, sticking up for him, him now, whereas if he'd have no, been, no, I'm just saying that this is nuanced. Yeah, but if he'd have been a pussy and he'd have cried about it and, oh, I'm really sorry, I've done this and I'm, I'm so bad and blah, 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 blah. And I should be treated, I should be crucified and everybody would have fucking dived all over it and they'd have tried to knock him off the, off his perch of being the, the head of the UFC. So Yeah, I, I think guess- he was actually lucky because there was video of it. I think if there was no video of it, people would have actually crucified him more. But because well, in the video, know, like right? his wife is looking like a, his wife just looks like a total bitch in the video. Can't say that about Dana White's wife. He's going to have you now. Ah, he's he's, he's coming. To he's in great shape now, to be fair. But yeah, it's it's. Um, I, I think if you do it, you just got to own it. And whether you do it wrong or right, you just got to own it. I mean, that's it. Yeah, got to own but, it. It's like you know what I did it. So what? Deal with it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's like you, you. There's a point where you have to sort of atone for mistakes, and if you do like terrible things, like obviously. But you have to take ownership of it and be like, don't just deny it. No, you don't deny it. Like, just say, yeah, I did. And because pe- a lot of people that make uh, that are apologizing are actually they're apologizing, but in the same breath they're making excuses. Yeah, like w- all of these apologies always have the same yep. lines in them, which is like, I'm really sorry this happened. Blah blah blah. I'm really struggling at the moment with x y z my mental health i have the tragedy in the family blah 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 it's like yeah so does fucking everyone man <laughs> like, like so I, just, think, I think the best way to know, if you're going to apologize be like yeah i did it in hindsight i think it was a bit stupid but now it is what it is so let's move on shit happens yeah although governments do that to a pretty impressive degree and they're just not held accountable for what they do quite a lot of the time like yeah we pumped a load of sewage into the water but you know shit happens good luck it's like, Done. wait, wait. <laughs> what's this? Um, okay, so yeah, this is from, um, there was a story in the book, which was, hmm, who was it? It was a king, uh, I can't remember his name now. Um, and he said, um, he basically is shown by his men, they, they go and show him a, a new catapult or, um, yeah, it's like a catapult thing that fires darts. It's like siege weaponry or, it's like a battlefield siege engine or something. And um, he, they look at it and they're like, isn't it amazing? Look, it can fire this missile from miles and it can, it can take people out from the other side of the battlefield. And his response is, alas, honor is no more. Um, which okay. is, uh, and my next point is about sort of innovation, battlefield innovation. And it's like, 
um, you know, there's honor in uh, there's a particular type of honorable combat and like wars there are governed isn't. by that kind of thing. Um, there isn't the wisdom. Well, combat is combat, and 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 might will always win. And if somebody's sat there politically saying, "I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, I don't want to do the other," let's make this rule, and then all of a sudden, the atomic bomb fucking hits them, and it's like, okay, stick you, 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 you're no longer alive. I don't think that's. I don't think honor of the. I just don't get it. If you're having a fight, have a fight, full on fucking fight. Goes until, until somebody wins, and it's the same in a war, is it not? So I think that the idea of battlefield honor and rules that dictate a battlefield it, it comes from not uh, because it's a a lose lose situation if everyone on both sides just stop talking about fights. I've got something here. All right, going to be embarrassed talking about fights just so that you know. Oh, there he is. The guy with the big hair. <laughs> <laughs> the dude with the big hair. That's me. I can't read it because of that stupid banner. Take the, how do we take the banner off? I'll get rid of it. All right, yeah, go and put that banner back up. That was a good one. That was that was the one we want. What's that? Oh, I'll put it up in a second. So for ev- anyone just listening, this is a poster of me because I'm going to have to fight someone uh, next weekend on Hoymouth Beach, which is uh, the beach where we live. Obviously, uh, a lot of you guys listen from overseas, so I'm not expecting any of you to come and cheer me on or watch me get beaten up. Um, but um, the um, the event is called Subs on the Sand. It is a submission grappling event, and it is being hosted to. It's a free event, and it's being hosted to raise money for um, children who can't afford to get into. Uh, combat sports or martial arts and um talking about the warrior ethos i think it's important that people have a sort of warrior outlet and have role models that they can look up to that are sort of strong and um have this kind of honorable code i think that's something you've talked about before isn't it mike with cameron and why you wanted to get him into traditional martial arts like karate how it, how it shows like discipline and i, I really think kids can learn Respect and discipline. Yeah, I think kids can learn a lot from martial arts. It's something I wish that I did What's when your name I was younger. The combat. Um, so yeah, the the gym that's hosting it and my is at my home gym with a combat lab. Um, and yeah, the event is called Subs on the Sand, and the charity is called the Lab Community Fund. Uh, you can donate to this charity at the GoFundMe um, link that I've put on screen now. I wish you'd have shared that link with me before the podcast because I would have definitely give you a short link that people could actually remember. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> well, if you type we'll in Lab Community... The video we'll anyway. put the link in the description of the video. Um, and yeah, there was a last minute thing of me putting it in because I was embarrassed to put myself on the screen looking all, I don't know, happy and hairy. I'm the least uh, intimidating looking guy to do a to do a, uh, a fight. Do you, know, you look like there. What's that lad called that wraps himself around people's legs? He just got battered in his last fight. Um, he's in the UFC. He's tall, skinny. <laughs> What's his name? He wraps himself around people's legs? Yeah, he always goes for the legs and does this funny little roll thing when he fights people. Oh, jeez. Oh, like an Imanari roll? No. Oh, wait till wait till the next team fight and I'll tell you who he is. All right. Okay, now. cool. Uh, um, yes. Anyway, Callum's fighting at weekend, guys. So come and see, watch him. I'll try and get some video of it. I'm going to take my little girl down there. If she lets me take a video of Callum fighting, I will share it on the podcast next time. Nice. That'd be funny. You can all watch me getting a couple of comments coming up there. Say, beating up. Let's check it out. Cal. Us. Cheers, Alden. Thanks, and mate. I'll uh, yeah, let you know how I get trying on. Trying their best to film for. All so- oh, right, cool. So we're going to have the team filming some stuff. So we will share it on the podcast. Exciting. Wicked.
Um, rough. I have no idea where. Um, but yeah, if you can support, um, support in 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 any way by donating to the to the to the link, it would be awesome because obviously you know kids that can't afford that kind of training is good for them and uh, can keep them out of trouble, especially in a small town like this. Doesn't take much before you have a uh, you know a warrior culture it can go wrong. <laughs> kids can join gangs and get in trouble. Uh, not so much down in Weymouth, luckily, but definitely where where you where you came from, there were lots of kids that would get in trouble. Be careful of people with bins. That's all I would say. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Be careful yeah. of war- <laughs> warriors with bins. Yeah, the warrior has feist against our instincts. What does that mean? Um, yeah. Okay. So this point is about just I think the function of the warrior ethos, and it fights against our instincts to run away and get out of get out of trouble because when we work together as humans, we are much stronger. Like one on one with a big cat we're going to get wrecked pretty badly but in a big group of us i think we've proven by the fact that we live in houses now um we there isn't much on planet earth that we can't beat up um and this is this is shown in a lot of horror movies isn't it you know when they get the the the, the evil guy on the floor and he drops the gun and rather than pick the gun up they run away and then yeah like don't run away <laughs> yeah yeah and why they, they split up it's like okay well there's a scary like you know he's in the house somewhere that's split up and you're like why would you split up that's a terrible idea in the like, house, leave. <laughs> yeah just team up or just you know all go stand by the entrance wait for him to come out but don't you know anyway yeah i think uh the i think what it is is the warrior ethos was created to um to like shame or goad people into being courageous. Um, and you see it day to day in, on my football team, for example, like if someone, um, when you're playing football um, or soccer, if you're from America, um, you know, if there's a goal kick, you're all jumping up to try and contest the header. And it can be a little bit scary because you're kind of putting your head on the line. You know, there's some big, ugly dude going to jump up and try and head the ball as well. And your heads might clash. You, it might hit you in the face. Like It is quite nerve wracking, especially when you've got younger guys on your team. We had a bunch of those sort of 17 year old lads join our team last year. And a few of them had a bit of anxiety about jumping up to head the ball. And we would just shame them and goad them into being courageous and doing it like every time there was a ball in the air you'd be like you fucking jump up you're getting under this one you're the next one like always like trying to push them to do it because they're like yeah i might get headbutted but i'd rather get headbutted than have my whole team think i'm a pussy and um i think it works really well it's useful. There's another one of my notes here. I've, mine are the longer notes today. I usually have the one word as it's useful today. <laughs> Everyone can learn from the warrior's ethos. It's not just about fighting, but also about overcoming difficulties and achieving your goals in life. I've read this from a completely different angle than normal because normally I'm like, yeah, I don't agree with them. They're full of shit. They're making up stories. <laughs> but this was, I, I, I kind of enjoyed I think it's because it was short enough for me to read it a few times and yeah. absorb it in a week. Everyone can learn from their warrior's ethos. It's not just about fighting, but also about overcoming difficulties and achieving your goals in life. Yeah, the inner battle. Um, and, you know, being, uh, learning to be sort of courageous, not just by, um, you know, fighting with someone, but by fighting against yourself and the urges inside of you to not do a thing because it's hard or you're afraid or um, taking a risk even though it will probably benefit you in, in the long run. I think um, we've got a few quotes coming up next from the look of this one. Oh, yeah. Have, this is 
Go on. Yeah. Uh, so if you do hard things, peace will be easy and conflict will be easier. Uh, I, I, that's just taken straight out of my notes. I wrote that down myself. That is a Callum Roy trademark quote. <laughs> um, conflict will be easy. Love it. And your next quote was tribal, oh, tribal mindset, an eye for an eye. Yeah. So, um, not cool. which is, no, it's not. It's, it's a, um, something that it can be a negative of the a negative effect of the warrior ethos i think which is the sort of like when the camaraderie element gets a little bit goes a little bit wrong like tribes we talked about it earlier when you're in a tribal situation it's you know everyone who's not part of your tribe is seen as like an outsider and is almost dehumanized by simply by the fact that they're not in your tribe um most uh they looked at like tribal languages and a lot of tribal languages didn't use uh, had a different word for the people from other tribes and and normally there the word for themselves would mean the people and the word for the other people would just mean like foreigners or outsiders so um i think you can have a, a situation where if you're in this sort of tribal group and you're feeling very strongly about it's why it's important to have like positive role models in those sort of warrior years you have as a as a young person um you could easily get sucked into this problem where if someone wrongs you or someone from your tribe, you're like, right, we've got to get them back. Cause that's, you know, that's the integrity. That's part of the warrior ethos. So you go out and you do something to them and then they say, Oh, they just, you know, hurt us. We need to go get them back. And you end up in this situation where it's a perpetual like circle of violence. And this was a massive problem before we had sort of standardized laws uh, I know that there was a thing in the Anglo-Saxon communities back in in um, England called the, I think it was the Wehrgild or something like that, which basically meant if you did something to someone, you would have to pay their family to, as an almost like a peace offering. That was kind of like the 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 way that they tried to solve it. Otherwise, you'd have two families end up fighting each other and then they get another group of families and then you end up having a civil war which the government knows nothing about it, it even happened in the u.s in a famous story called the hatfields and the mccoys i don't know if you've ever heard of them before um but it, it was basically uh two families and um, i think they were on either sides of the civil war and after the civil war ended their their family feud basically reignited like a mini civil war in the still, area that yeah, they were living in. The Civil War and then when it ended, they started fighting again. Um, I think they might have been representing opposite sides of the Civil War. Got you. Um, and they're basically, they came back and then one guy accidentally kills another guy and then suddenly someone from that group, it's like Romeo and Juliet, you know, once, once one killing happens, an eye for an eye and it keeps going and uh, it eventually caused like chaos. I think the government ended up having to get involved and stopping this conflict because they were genuinely worried it was going to start another civil war which is crazy um sorry i thought you'd done on that one that right it's universal the warrior ethos isn't limited to one place or time it's found all over the world throughout history and, and this basically means from gangs in school in schoolyards right the way up to the most senior generals in the american um army yeah or the british army it's the same thing um this one you've wrote here i don't What's that mean? Yeah, so I was thinking of some like interesting things to debate, and I, I so I wrote down honor amongst terrorists, and like, uh, do my point was going to be, do you think that 
people we consider to be terrorists i know that there's the common line of like one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter but do, you know do you think that terrorists operate under this kind of yeah. honor code i believe i believe the terrorists have got stronger honor code uh, amongst each other than 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 probably most um most of society who why do you think that always- is because they've got a common goal and, and a, con, a common enemy and, and they've got a, a common belief system where there it's like, like, no, this is what we have to do. This is what our aim is. We're, we're it's our, it's our mission. Whereas most of society's only mission is to better themselves. Yeah. I, I think it's also, also comes from how they feel like they're under siege, how they feel like, like a lot of the sort of terrorist or, um, you know freedom fighter asymmetrical warfare groups kind of feel like i think that's what me- makes them do horrible stuff like car bombings and stuff like that it's almost like well we don't have rockets we don't have aircraft and you know we we so we have to meet them like that level of violence with our own level of violence and i think that that's kind of a weapon they use almost that's how terror is a weapon it's like either you're scared of a terrorist or you have to sink to their level and fight them i think that's why we find found it so hard to deal with the insurgencies in iraq and afghanistan because we follow what you would call rules of engagement and they don't yeah but them not having rules of engagement has allowed them to be around and and eventually they 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 do will and do take over because what happens is they don't have any rules of engagement they've got the staying power and and unfortunately it's true in all things relationships and wars nice guys finish last it's as simple as that yeah and the more the more sort of rules you have the more things that will get in the way and also the more things that can be exploited by other what, what does this next one mean Ah, this was another concept from the book that I thought was really interesting. The psychological salary. So um, you remember, people yeah. in the military aren't necessarily paid a huge amount of money to do what they do. And you think for such a and dangerous job, yeah, and school teachers, um, to do such a dangerous job, you'd need to be financially compensated, especially in such a capitalist society. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case. And uh, in the book, he talks about the psychological salary and how the honor and prestige you can earn from doing these um, dangerous and daring feats can end up uh, being worth more than money. Like your honor is worth more than... You do get honor from everybody for being in in the army. I mean, mean, people Mm -hmm. who would disrespect somebody goes in there and like says right yeah i'm a lawyer so the, so they maybe like I'm, I'm using lawyers as a good example because most people dislike them but what i'm saying is a lawyer will will spend how many years in education and how many years um working under somebody else before he gets to the point where he can turn around and say right i'm i'm, I'm a fully qualified lawyer or i'm a barrister or whatever it is and the the, the most people would be like, okay, so you're just a pompous prick, are you rich or whatever? And I'm not got nothing against lawyers, but then you turn around and you say, yeah, I went to Afghanistan in the war. People will be like, oh, yeah. thank you for your service. Everybody will say it. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's the psychological salary. Oh, no way. We've got a big, massive fly in here. Uh, and <laughs> oh, mate, I had a wasp in here. I was channeling my fucking inner warrior earlier. <laughs> it was like flying around my head and I was just like looking at the camera, like just be a samurai cow. Don't, don't freak out. Yeah. But yeah, I get, I get that psychological salary. So, so again, that is all about, um, what, what would you call it? Ego? Yeah. I think there is an ego element, isn't there? Like being proud of, 
of doing that. That's why guys in the military, there are some certain guys, they call them Walts, don't they? Walter Mitties, which is where they wear badges of like conflicts that they weren't even in. And they'll like go to a military parade because oh, like people, people are the grandfather's badges when they go to these military things. It's like, well, my grandfather fought in that war, so I'll wear his badges. Yeah. Like, have you ever been to war? No, I signed up and I did the training and then I um, didn't get in. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, I, it's I, I couldn't do it. I was too much of a shitbag. Yeah, there is a, definitely a psychological salary to it. Like the one, the guy I worked with before, he wasn't necessarily. It, it was just a sort of temp job, and he his the the way he looked at it was like, well, I've already achieved all these things in the military, and that was my dream as a as a boy was to get into the into the military and to serve. And he served in a in a conflict zone, and and um yeah, and he fought, and he was like, well, that's you know what I did. But then when he left his, he was like, Oh fuck. Like, I wish I'd been in the military during Iraq, the, the Iraq war. Cause then I would have actually right. seen more combat. It's mad, isn't it? But that's like, he was that. like, yeah, my psychological was... salary wasn't worth as much because I wasn't in the Iraq war, which more people were dying in and it was more dangerous. It's, it's really, um, such a strange way of looking at things, but that's I like, the... that cause it won't be like, get it out of me yet. Some of the shit no. we would have seen, especially what must have happened. Uh, yeah, no, thanks. Keep it. Yeah, crazy. But my, my other point is um, the psychological salary, I think, even if you're not in a military job, can be something, uh, an interesting concept. Like if you do what you love and you're happy about I it. Think, I think uh, uh, very, very, very underpaid. And at the minute, they're striking a lot to try and get more money. But actually, those who actually become school teachers, not for because they can't do anything else because you get a lot of these people that do do it because if you you can't do you teach type of thing but you get some that actually want to make kids lives better and they yeah. go in and they do it for that reason and unfortunately they are underpaid but they're so so respected for what they do yeah i've always you whenever i tell people that i teach i always get like people are always seem to be quite respectful of it yes. which i thought would be the opposite i thought it would be like telling people you're in the police or something when people are oh i bet you just hate fun no you you you're shaping the future yeah or yeah it's a really important job people don't look man. at it <laughs> people don't look that was that was profound people uh, <laughs> don't, people don't look at it um like that in the police though which is kind of interesting they what might my police my dad doesn't tell anyone what he does yeah, because the police have lost respect, unfortunately, because yeah. of all the shit they've done over the years, and because, of, and unfortunately, if you give people too much power, especially a lot of uh, sociopaths, and they say like fucking, there's quite a lot of them kicking around, they will take advantage. So I believe that, like the police, I think a lot of people who are sociopaths or who are power hungry, people who want to, who crave, will try and become police officers because they have this level of power over everybody around them, and yeah. I think that that's unfortunately for the decent coppers, uh, it's, it's, it's it's affected them as a whole negatively. Yeah, and it's like, why would you want to join a police force that, again, underpaid? My, like the uh, starting salary for a police officer is the same as it was when my dad joined, and he joined twenty, 20 years ago. It's the wow. same. Wow, like inflation is like yeah. Look at the cost pretty, of a loaf of bread in that time. Yeah, it'll, it'll have doubled if not it's more. Nuts! It's nuts, and so people aren't doing it for the money. So they can't do that. And if you, you know, watch the news, the police aren't seen as a force for good anymore, particularly. So people aren't doing it to change people's lives. On, do you know, you know if we didn't have the cops, it would be fucked though, right? Because do you know yeah. these countries where they haven't got them? 
the shit that yeah. goes on in, like, like, like look at where, where they've not got a proper the, police force like Africa and places like that where people are being hands chopped off and raped. I don't know if it's still going well, yeah. on. I know it was. That's, if they had a proper police force like we've got, you can phone coppers and have them there in 15 minutes and you sorted. Well, that's like the tribal mindset issue, isn't it? Like we talked about before, the eye for an eye thing. If you don't have a police force, then you have who polices injustice the people who are victims of injustice and like where do they draw the line before they create more injustice it just goes on forever rules of engagement they are people who police it because they become the 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 ones with the biggest knives you don't don't mind cutting your head off yeah yeah so they're they're very important but it's it's weird how things have gone and and i'm not saying that they're good either the the police are good there's a lot of psychopaths in the police so um all uh, right, next note, the warrior archetype. Um, so this was um, Wait towards the... What does archetype mean? So an archetype is a... It's like a a universally accepted sort of... Almost like a program that everyone has within them that uh, manifests itself throughout history uh, so like within the commonality, people. The, 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 it's like... It's... Yeah. So, for example, the um, the hero archetype is just an archetype that's used Good. in stories all the time, like that you will always see the hero usually, uh, and it starts off... Um, you can be many archetypes throughout your life, so the hero archetype often starts off as the, as the orphan, which is another ar- archetype, Um <laughs> And then we'll like move on. We'll become the hero. Then the the warrior. For, well, maybe they become the warrior to become the hero. They have to kill someone or fight a dragon or something like that. Um, and then after that, they become the king. Then they become the sage, the wise man, the wizard. And then you know, and it goes on and on until the end of your life. And, and people will have this uh, archetypes in stages of their lives. Like young people do certain things, and they all seem to make the same decisions and mistakes and there's like a commonality between a lot of people and so what's the he, point of this note i don't get it so he argues that the warrior archetype is uh takes on takes shape in uh early to mid teenage years and that is the time where you seek out your band of warriors and you look for things like uh loyalty and um uh, an honor code between you and your friends and you end up basically getting really uh closely you look for gangs or you look for a tribe basically you look for your identity within a group of others and you become a sort of warrior band almost that's next one what he says so i thought it was kind of interesting um okay so that was my uh last note on like the content of the book this is just stuff i was interested in i wanted to ask you who you think the greatest warrior ever is the greatest warrior, probably Buddha. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, think how many people's lives he's changed without even kicking off. How many mm-hmm. people's followed him, how many people's thinking, and he's never battered anyone. And, and yeah. you've not given me any time to think about this, so I'm kind of like, okay. Um, yeah, I wanted a, an on-the-spot answer. I don't like anyone who who basically goes out and tries to to, to overthrow governments. I think, I think I think there's a lot of, of, of pointless death in a lot of families, a lot of children and, and women and things like that who don't necessarily want all the shit to happen and they just want to carry on living their own little lives in their own little world so i don't really like any of them oh. at all i don't like them i like That's i like the guys that do it without maybe i'm wrong i don't know no, i don't think you're wrong i mean this is no. a subjective no, thing it's, you know, no i don't like can... any of them yeah i love the answer of the buddha that's awesome like there's Probably one the buddha, so yeah, many like inner so wars much. too 
Yeah, he made so much. He made so much change without fucking destroying families, and without killing people, without chopping off hands, without setting fire to villages, and raping and murdering and all that bullshit. That's not necessary if we're all just a little bit nicer to each other. So I guess yeah. Um, that's awesome. No, I yeah, love that answer. There's a story in the book, isn't there, about Alexander who he he's like in uh, India with his army and he's like cry, trying to cross this river and there are these like naked uh, yogis, uh, so, sort of old men that are meditating on the banks of the river. And um, he they he tries to move, his men run out to try and move them and they don't move. And uh, they, a few of them refuse and Alexander is like, no, 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 leave them alone, leave them alone. He goes and talks to them. And he says, like, about... The guy says to him first, do you know who this is? This guy's conquered the world. Uh-huh. Said, what yeah. have you ever done? And the guy says, I've conquered the need to conquer the world. Yes, yeah. Word for word. Um, which I think is I like awesome. It. And that that's yeah. exactly what your point was about, um, about Buddha and about that kind of uh, the spiritual warrior, which yeah. I think is one that we can all tap into today because there are not... There's not a lot of chances for, like, conflict and violence and even though i think that we all have a part of ourselves that does want some kind of physicality and that there needs you need to do hard things even if that's not beating someone up even if that's like running around um so we've got battles the first one in the mind but wait till you see the next one go on how about gandhi then he kicked the british empire out without killing fighting I don't want, fighting it's just a fighting anyone yeah yeah, another interesting one. I See, I read this thing. I thought, I, I agree with you. I think that people who like the social change thing, Muhammad Ali is another good, obviously a, another example where he was a warrior in the fact that he was fighting in the boxing ring, but he was also a warrior in the fact that he was fighting um, a social war too against uh, the discrimination and uh, the civil rights movement and stuff like that he was also fighting on that front. So I thought he was really interesting. Gandhi again. Yeah. Super interesting would be a really good example of a, a warrior. People say that like social justice warriors now have like a really bad name. Uh, but like in the past so, when, let, let me ask you a question. Go on then. You're doing something about warrior poets. Yeah. I am. Would somebody like Buddha or Gandhi be able to get in as a warrior poet because they, 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 Absolutely. they achieved things without. Yeah. Yeah, man. I like, I that's, like that's, that's literally the uh that basically is where i'm going with it is like the warrior the ultimate example of the warrior poet archetype is someone like that is a warrior so strong they don't have to fight love it that's yeah so, that's really cool but i think gandhi used to touched up his his um niece so i wasn't going to mention him because I, I, okay. I watched the documentary and i think he he was like i'm gonna test my ability to resist temptation and he slept next to his niece for like a bunch of nights like well you know i'd sleep with her if i was tempted and it's like bro <laughs> no dude <laughs> don't do that <laughs> don't do that warrior cultures exist today of course they do yeah yeah i think but the warrior cultures in the traditional sense of the word you know i think there are a few societies that are still kind of like that but i think by and large we kind of i don't know there's like a there's like this whole thing of being i think people misconstrue pacifism with being like it's about 
a lot of the traditional martial arts and, and, and like that guy I told you about who got his balls stamped on and then he moved to Indonesia and went and stayed in a temple in Bali. And he stayed yeah. there for 14 years. Um, basically, I think the people he was surrounded by, they, they had a warrior culture where they was tough, they was thinking, but they was also super respectful and they were also yeah. didn't want to hurt anybody outside of their own clothes like if you'd have gone into the temple being a so they lived it but they didn't run around that's, killing people yeah that's kind of like the duality of the martial artists like part of them like the they're like the a peaceful warrior is one that you know is not it, it learn you learn how to fight so you never have to it's one of those things like being if you're a if you're like oh, i'm a pacifist i used to say this all the time i'm a pacifist i'd never i'd never want to hurt anyone I don't want to fight anyone. Um, and I still have those feelings. I don't want to fight anyone. I don't want to hurt anyone. Um, but uh, I couldn't fight anyone or hurt anyone. So was what I was doing by saying like, oh, I don't want to fight anyone. I don't want to. Was that me being virtuous or was that just me being a coward? Because I didn't even have, I didn't possess the skills to fight or hurt anyone, even if I had to. So it was very easy for me to be like, oh, well, I could never hurt anyone. I'm very peaceful. It's like, well, are you peaceful or are you just weak? But that's the, you know, that that's the no, sort of... I, th I think it's question. harder to, to, to... It's easier for a man, in my opinion, to turn around and say, I, I'll, I'll have you a fight, yeah, no problem, than it is to turn around and say, I'm not going to fight, I'm not going to hurt anyone. I think that takes yeah. strength of character that most males don't have to turn around and actually say, no, I'm not going to fight. I'm not interested in fighting. It's not what I do. I don't want to hurt anybody ever. Yeah. To say that is harder than to turn around and say, yeah, come on, let's, let's go outside. Take your fucking, let's do it. <laughs> I, think I think that's less. So no, I, I don't. It's why, but I think it's why you're saying that. I, I just don't, I just, because if, if I, if somebody came to me and, 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 and let's if say, you're let's, saying, my point is, if you're saying this, are you saying, I don't want to fight because you truly believe that you don't want to fight. Or are you saying, I don't want to fight because you're afraid? I don't know. I just know if somebody embarrassed me in front of my missus and that I'd want to punch him in the mouth and I, I, mm. I'd find it easy to go outside and punch him in the mouth. Whereas I'd find it a lot harder to turn around and say, well, I'm a pacifist. I don't fight and, and, and walk away and say to my missus, do you still, do you still think I'm a man or do you think I'm a little pussy? Um, and, and, and she probably wouldn't care either way, but what I think is, I don't know, it's easier to turn to violence than it is to, to walk away from it. And I think it's easy. It's, it's easier to, to, to make it. It's a lot more, well, it's disrespectful as well, but it's also, it's a lot harder to say to somebody, you carry on over there with your anger and your rage and see you later. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. Yeah. You, I agree. Like that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. But my point is that like by, uh, if you don't even have the ability to, to have any I, kind of, to like, not just to fight, but just to like to defend yourself or to look after yourself, and then you're like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm above that. It's like you're not actually above that. If you learn to fight for self-defense, and then you can fight, and then you're still the same. I'm a pacifist, and you refuse. Anyone, yeah. Then that, that's, that's the that, yeah. That's what I mean. That's my point. Like that's the that's like the level of because then you know if if there comes a time where you're like it's very unlikely, but if you ever had to defend yourself, you wouldn't be like. 
you know, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> like, I genuinely don't know what I've, I'm doing. I've seen like, a few UFC fighters say, I don't fight outside the ring. I won't get involved. No, same. I would never. I, like, I would never. To, but for them to say that as as being top 10 in the world fighters, to actually turn around and say, no, 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 I don't fight outside the ring at all. And to actually walk around with, with security, I think, takes... Because you, then you've got knobheads like Conor McGregor running around thinking he can take on the fucking world and punching mascots. Punching people and, and all yeah. sorts of shit. I mean, the, the Miami, the, whatever it was, the Miami, is it, they called the Miami Heat. They've dropped yeah, him out so. from that thing that they were promoting with him. Which, mm. You know, it, it don't, yeah. Because he got accused of sexual assault in the bathroom of the stadium. No, yeah, I mean, you can only be a knobhead for so long until people eventually start realizing okay. this guy's an absolute knobhead. And if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. That is the, I think, the. You know, if you're a if you're a knob, what does this mean? Uh, okay, so this was a uh, talking about sort of tribal uh, stuff earlier. Podcast. Sorry, you have to read oh, it out for the podcast. I will. Uh, the note says "hunted in the Amazon." Um, I was listening to a chap tell a story the other day. He was a um, he was a, a specialist in bats. His name was M- Mervyn Tuttle or something like that. Um, he was on Rogan. You can you can listen to it. But now I'm a huge fan of his because he's a super sweet old man. But really interested in bats. And when he was doing research on bats, he would go into the um, into the Amazon to like uh, to to try and catch specimens and stuff like that. And um, one time he was he was in the Amazon and he heard um, he heard like a noise of a certain like bird. And he was like, oh, "That's weird. That bird. It's nighttime. Like, a bird doesn't come out at night." And then he heard the sound of a monkey. He was like, what the hell? It's the sound of a like they're like speaking to each other. And then he heard a jaguar. He was like, what the fuck? Like I can hear like all of these animals just started starting like randomly like saying things. And then he heard the jaguar from where he'd heard the birds before. And he was like, Holy fuck, those aren't animals. There are they are people making animal sounds to communicate because they're trying to hunt me <laughs> and it turned out that oh, it was wow. an it was a tribe the local tribe had snuck up on him and were communicating their their coordinating their attack using animal sounds wow and uh yeah and luckily he was uh he knew about the animals because he was a specialist and he realized that they were like sneaking up on him and he managed to like run back and get out of and he basically ended up running and like lying down in a river and like he had to like crawl out basically it's this a bat specialist from uh, M- mel i think it's like melvin tuttle or something tuttle is his second name he made that story up because i mean these guys live in the amazon and he's going to run away and hide in a river and they're not going to catch him they would yeah well maybe they caught him. i mean they were probably maybe they weren't trying to um kill him maybe they're just trying to scare him away that was I reckon in- he sat there one time. night around a fire and made up the story and thought this will be a great story. And if I'm ever thinking it, I don't believe him. He he did a lot of work with the with the tribes in the Amazon. He has lots of pictures and experiences with them. You'll, you'll have to like oh, listen to I know him about that bit. It's, I just don't really cool. about I don't believe that stuff. I, I think he made Yeah, that I've heard to be fair, I've heard story. people saying they do they do hunt they do communicate using animal noises to not spook yeah. their prey. And they're constantly fighting each other, these tribes. So they might have thought that he was uh, an enemy buddies. tribe member yeah but he said that he ended up staying with a uh, uh a tribe out there and they were like oh uh come come and stay with us it's not safe so he was like okay so we stayed with the tribe and he was like why isn't it safe and he was like well they're coming uh, this neighboring tribe is coming to raid our village he was like oh which village he's like this one <laughs> he was like, well, why, why would you take me here um and uh apparently they all did like a shamanic ritual 
and they were super high on like ayahuasca and crazy like uh, uh, psychedelic um, uh, roots and stuff. And they were firing poison tipped arrows around like in this like crazy uh, psychedelic state and he said that he was hiding behind this wooden plank trying to sleep like oh my god what am i doing here it was really really cool yeah. um but do you yeah. think the lack of education stops them having the same sort of fear that me and you would have if we were in that situation do you know you know these tribals that live out there do you think they yeah. have a similar fear to animals so they don't kind of get it that if you get your lug cut off this happens and the pain happens and they don't kind of know so they don't feel the same fear i think education because what it's kind of throughout history people look at like the, the the geeky little nerd the clever intelligent nerd from 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 like like bill gates yeah. um they don't put themselves in dangerous situations because they overthink things to the point like they procrastinate too much because they're so educated so they won't feel the same yeah but it's like don't worry, you, just, you don't worry you just hide under this under this piece of metal here and you find they, they always seem to miss you and they don't think any further than that it's like i'm safe i'm in under this thing and then I think an educated person would be like, yeah, but do you really, I just, I think education makes yeah. more scared in them situations. It does. And I think civilization does too, because like the, the stakes are kind of like, you know, the, the stakes are different too. It's like if you live a comfortable life and then you, you know, have like crazy uh, experiences Where in, in another from? country or something. Um, Somali pirates. Oh, there's another story I was going to tell. Cool, man. Um, so Somali pirates, uh, I have uh, the only relative I have that, well, my uncle is the only person I've spoken to that has been in combat zones. He's been in Af he was in Afghanistan and he was in um, uh, Kuwait, I think, before. But he also, he was in the Navy and he uh, was a medic in the Navy. And um, he, one of the things he had to do, which he kept secret from us at the time, was he went on a... Uh, a mission which was going basically he was on like a royal fleet auxiliary boat which is one of the boats that carries all the ammunition and stuff for the main battleships um in the royal navy and what they were doing is they'd gone out into um the waters around somalia to police the somali pirates who um were a who are sort of a a gang so to speak or a like a, a group of rebels or um bandits that go around and steal people's ships so they were policing the shipping lanes to make sure that these somali somali pirates couldn't take over other people's ships and take them captive there are some movies about it like captain phillips i think is a movie about it, if you haven't heard of it before but um so this was an interesting story about the rules of engagement so he was royal fleet auxiliary so he doesn't even carry a gun on this ship like there's no there's no way he's ever going to be in any combat and um on the Royal Fleet Auxiliary, there were a group of um, American soldiers. I think they were Marines. Um, and they were doing like a, an exchange, like training thing. So there were a bunch of American soldiers on the boat. And uh, they have rules about the Somali pirates. They're not at war with the Somali pirates. They're just criminals. So you can't just shoot them. And even if they shoot at you, you're not allowed to kill them. Like you have to try and but you know yeah you, you have to just try and avoid the conflict it's very That's very a job that it's you nuts isn't it do it's like so wait a minute you're sending me out there put me in fucking prison yeah put me that's what i'd yeah. say I, I'd like, <laughs> i'm not going out there against people that have got no rules with well with no gun they, they had similar problems with fighting the taliban where they were like you can't you, you they 
Ameri- some of the soldiers weren't allowed to shoot at the Taliban until the Taliban had fired at them. And then they had to make sure it was the right target because they're not allowed to kill civilians and the su- Taliban were dressed as civilians. Similar with the Somali pirates. If you pull up to a bunch of guys in a little, there's like 20 guys in a tiny little boat and you're like, what are you guys doing? And their response is going to be like, fishermen. And you know, you'd search their boat and then you find like an RPG or something and you'd be like, ah, oh, they're fucking they're pirates. But you'd arrest them and then you take them to port. You couldn't just like shoot them up. Um, so you'd, it, it was very uh, certain circumstances that you could pirate them. Anyway, my uncle was asleep below deck and he heard this knocking sound. He was like, what the hell? It sounds like an alarm, but it's not, you know, it's just this banging knocking sound. That's really weird. So um, he came out of his room and there was loads of people running around and he um, headed up to the, to the deck. And uh, when he got up there, there was a guy that was like, no, you can't come out here. Like only, only combatants can come out here. We're um, under attack. So what happened is this group of Somali pirates had thought that the Royal Fleet Auxiliary boat was a cargo ship because it wasn't. It's obviously not a battleship. So they didn't, they didn't know that it was actually a um, – it was nighttime. They obviously hadn't seen the flags, and they hadn't realized that it was a um, Royal Navy boat. And they had started shooting the side of it with an AK-47 to like scare people and bring what they assumed was just workers on this boat out to the deck. But instead they got a team of American Marines. They might have have actually all just been drunk and you just thought, you know what? American boat, let's just shoot it for a laugh and just, just, I mean, English boat, whatever it is. Yeah. You might have just thought, fuck it. Do you know, because you do stupid stuff like that when you're drunk, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, they've got to be like, I mean, to, to be in a tiny little... Uh, fishing like skiff thing and to be like yeah we've got an rpg and a bunch of ak's probably half of them don't even work let's just climb up onto this giant cargo ship and take over it like that takes serious balls so they were basically next to the ship and they were trying to board it (laughs) they were trying to get on onto the ship and then suddenly all of the spotlights came on on the ship and they realized that they had like mini guns pointed at them and stuff and they just immediately turned around and tried to run away and uh, they weren't allowed to shoot um, shoot back, but the Americans were like, oh, come on, let us shoot back. They really wanted to shoot, use the miniguns to shoot at this boat. So in the end, what the captain decided to do was to send up a helicopter, a little bird helicopter with a sniper in it. And the sniper in the helicopter chased the boat and shot its engine and then left them <laughs> in the middle of the sea. So that's worse than, <laughs> yeah, yeah. than being killed. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah, fuck around and find out, I guess. On that one, final thought. I wrote, this book isn't about promoting violence because I think a lot of people will read the title and think it is. So this book isn't about promoting violence, but about learning how to be brave, respectful, disciplined, and determined in everything we do. Yes. Um, I got that from it. And normally I, I'm argumentative and I disagree with a lot of these things, but the way he's wrote this book made me actually think, do you know what? It's it's pretty pretty smart the way he's wrote it. It's pretty good. Yeah, he knows his stuff, doesn't he? Um, I think definitely worth a read. And if you watch this whole podcast, you probably could have read the book twice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what have we been? We've been live for two hours now. So in two hours, you can certainly read this book. It's a two-hour read. Yeah. And the stories in it, we've mentioned some of them, but we haven't mentioned all of them. There are some really, really cool stories. If you want to get like a, a little bit of knowledge about sort of Sparta, uh, Alexander, yeah. some really cool ancient historical figures, highly recommend it for history nerds as well. Um, I knew some of the stories, but not all of them. Uh, and it was really cool. So uh, 
And then next week, we have a guest coming on. Yeah, super excited for this one. So the next week... building lifestyle. We have Igor Kafitz. I'll say his name because I know you said you didn't know how to say it. Confessions of an Email Millionaire. So so next week, Igor will actually be coming on with us. We're going to both read his book this week. We're going to yep. list a load of questions, go through some stuff with it. And yes, oh, you've got a picture of him on the back there if you want to pop his, spin it around. Oh, yeah, let's do it. There's his mush right there on the back of this. So this should be um, a good one. It's the first author that we've had on. So it yeah. should be pretty good. Um, I'm super excited to have a guest wait on. There, wait there, look at this. Look at this. Ooh. Ah. Alden says, Ooh. I agree with you, Mike, with a winky he face. with me. But we look don't Alan. even know. We've, the, but the, 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 uh, the argument's so long gone, we don't even know what he's agreeing with at this point. So it's a shallow know, victory. You know, it wasn't an argument. That was to do with what I think, I think was the final thought. Ah, okay. Um, All right. We'll let you have that one. I think the true warriors are definitely that the ones who don't mindlessly kill just to be violent, but have honor. Yep. Yep. Love I that. totally agree. So yes, guys, looking forward to next week. It's the first time I've had an author on. It's going to be really good. Go and buy the book. What's the book again? I forgot. The book is List Building Lifestyle, The Confessions of an Email Millionaire. Pretty I interesting. Half of it this morning, just yes, because not, I was... Not many pages. Yep. So Callum didn't actually choose this one, but um, yes, it's it's it should be an easy week again. It's one of yours, but I'm excited to read this one. Really excited. One, because of the guest element. I think that's going to be really cool. And also because, you know, I like learning stuff about like making money in the digital economy. <laughs> I think it's cool and, and it's actionable. People can, you know, get something and you know, if we can make people some money, that'd be that'd be great. Read books, make money, get chicks. <laughs> that's, the no wide... getting chicks anymore. Been... <laughs> that's the wide debate ethos <laughs> yeah right cool no no we'll see I'm, you I'm all next week. week all Thank right you very much see you next week cheers guys bye bye